Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, wherever you are in the world. And welcome to another episode of Endurance Chat. My name is Marcus Olivari, and today I am joined by lead commentator, well, not quite lead commentator, uh, one of the commentators on the WC World Feed, lead commentator of the Asian Le Mans series. Analyst. Lead analyst. Analyst. And on... Uh, lead analyst on the ELMS. <laughs> and, uh, yes. And commentator of the Michelin Le Mans Cup and the Leisure European Series. Editor-in-chief of Daily Sports Cars and occasionally, well, actually runs uh, the Week in Sports Cars with Marshall Pruitt. The other voice in that one, welcome to the show, Graham Goodwin. It's me. That's me. I recognise myself from that description. Awesome. It's great That's to have I you do. with us. Thank you, mate. Um... Yeah, first of all, how are you going? How How is the week panning out for you? Uh, well, it's a, it's a public holiday here in the UK, which oh. I'd completely forgotten about. So when I made a few calls to various people this morning, number one, most of them weren't answering the, the phone because they're not at work, and number two, the ones that did were a bit annoyed. So, <laughs> um, so that's fine. Just remind them they are in motorsport, there are no days off. Uh, but no, it's fine. Um, it's a little bit dull here in the UK. Uh, for those that don't know, I'm uh, just a little bit south of London. Um, up on Epsom Downs. Uh, we've had some lovely weather, but it's uh, ooh, a little bit ropey right now. Uh, we were hoping to be joined by a special guest, Oscar the Husky. He may uh, decide to pop in uh, while we're recording this. Generally speaking, the routine is between now and about one o'clock. He comes back from his morning walk and then accompanies my lunch down to the office with the lovely Trudy and then proceeds to eat half of my lunch. So that's that's the way things are rolling at the moment. Uh, busy, busy weekend of racing just done, just uh, catching up with the last bits and pieces from that, and prepping now for uh, WEC uh, next weekend. Looking forward to that. Yeah, next weekend. It comes along very quickly. And a conversation that we were having earlier today, it is only six weeks until Le Mans, Graham. Stop! Stop talking about that now. <laughs> I can't, okay, okay, we'll, we'll leave that all alone. It's it's, it's carnage. It's, it's, you know, we we have a we have, the vague plan that we have is, as always, so involved. The, the problem, of course, is I have two jobs at the moment. Yeah. Um, in the first part of the week, I'm dead as for Delhi Sports Car. The second part of the week, I leave that um, from about Wednesday onwards. I uh, stop doing daily sports car things and go and do TV things, which means we then have two other teams, a team on site and a team from distance, uh, catching up with all the things that are going on. But it is it. – look, I love the Le Mans 24 Hours more than words can say. I think I'm right. This year will be my uh, – how many? 26th, 27th? Wow. Uh, Le Mans. Um, but it is – really really hard work yeah uh, it is delightful though that we can have people back in proper numbers um so all of that's going to be going on and that involves two cars one ferry one tunnel one person coming by car but going home by air and me trying to arrange to pick up a load of kit caboodle because martin haven's car's broken oh no uh, so things like the kettle and the coffee machine uh, have to be picked up. So it's all a bit messy at the moment. Yeah. But that will get sorted. Um, as with the stuff you see on track, motorsport runs on logistics. And it is all a matter of getting people and things 
at the right time, yeah. at the right kind of money uh, from places, as you're finding out with Bathurst, Michael. Yes. It's a, it is a king-size pain in the ass. Um, so this week, for instance, Norfolk, driven in rapid Lotus, drive back from Norfolk directly to, oh no, sorry, to Rochester in Kent, where I pick up Pedro the photographer. Yep. Take Pedro the photographer to Tunnel, go through Tunnel, drive from there to Charlois Airport, where we pick up Drew Gibson, another photographer, take him to his hotel at Spa, go to our hotel at Spa, relax. Wow, that's, okay. That's, that's, that's life, yeah. basically. Uh, I will anyway. return to that because there's a question that uh, we've got about the travel and that sort of stuff. Um, but before we jump into everything proper, I do want to say, firstly, a big shout out to everyone who sent in questions on our Reddit thread. Um, if you commented on the thread or in the Discord as well, thank you very much. That's given me, I think we've got three pages worth of questions um, that we'll... <laughs> I've picked out bits and pieces and I've tried to combine them. So we'll Lucky try... I'm not busy then, eh? <laughs> well, it's going to get late here in Australia soon, so I'm, I'm keen fine. to get through... Um, get through at a a, a, a cracking pace um secondly i have to say shout out to our sponsor the rating the racing lion dot app your motorsport calendar um download that on the ios store or the apps uh, the uh, the google store um to give you upload updates on calendar changes and alerts for different sessions um they've been very good to us so thank you for their continued support graham let's start with uh well you just mentioned that it's going to be your 26th lamar I think 95, missed 96, then every year from 97, 97, 98, 9, 2005, 27th. 27th. Wow, that is... 26 of which have been consecutive. That's correct. That is... I still feel like a new boy. Really? Genuinely. Wow. There are a lot of people that have done a lot more than I have, including a lot of fans who've been there for many, many years, which is why 2020 was so sad, because it did mean that a lot of people's run was broken. I did manage to get there in 2020, but an awful lot of people didn't. Yeah, and uh, that's that is such a special thing to have that like unbeaten yeah. run of yeah. It's, yeah. So it's like heroin. It's a habit. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, it's going to be that type of show. I'm going to quote a question from uh, Johannes. Uh, Johannes Mean Ad is his uh, uh, his Reddit handle. Uh, everyone in the Discord will know him as uh, Johan. Um, where and when was the first endurance race you attend- attended live, and what was the experience of that event? Was it at Le Mans? Uh, no, it wasn't. It was at Brands Hatch. So that was. Uh, so I've been racing before, uh, but not uh, not a lot principally because uh, my closest track to my home was Alton Park. Okay, I come yep. from the northwest of England. And neither of my parents drove. So getting there, you were basically beholden to other people. So you never had a car. Yeah. Um, so motorsport came a little later with me. Uh, in terms of the first endurance race I attended, it was 1988. Uh, it was one of only two Group C races I ever attended. Um, wow. And it was uh, Brands Hatch, uh, I think the 500 kilometer race, and it was the Saubers and the Jaguars. And those of you that crawl, as I know a lot of you do, YouTube, there's an infamous incident involving a little Tiger trying to get to the pits. It's collected heavily by one of the Saubers. Um, and then there's an astonishing avoidance by the second Sauber spinning to avoid the wreckage, and the Jaguar kind of gets through Jaguar won the race. That was my first endurance race. And if you actually look really, really carefully at that uh, shot, what you'll see is me 
with my now ex-wife and my then very young son in his pushchair at the fence line right there where that actually happened. Wow. Going, Look at that. <laughs> so that was my first insurance racing um, uh, experience. Uh, the, it, it came back much later, oddly enough, as a result of the end of that first marriage. And I think, as I've said before, you get a choice. You involve yourself with your children or you don't. And there was never any doubt in my mind that I was going to involve myself with my uh, my son, who's now, what, 35 years old, by the way. Um, and we started going racing every couple of weeks when I could to do with the job I did at, the, at that time. So about every couple of weeks, we'd rock up to Brands Hatch. And this was those glory days of eight, nine factory teams in Super Touring, um, British GT was fantastic. BPR was around at that time, and that lit the fire. And you know, as I've regularly said, it was James, my son, wanted to go to Le Mans. He wanted to go and watch the McLaren, so we did. We got on the coach and we went to Le Mans in 1995. Missed 96 because of work, and then I've been back every year since and started working there in 2001 as a writer. And I think the first year. I picked up a microphone there was 05 or 06. Wow. So I've been basically working, you know, either for regular Mon or latterly for the uh, the international feed for TV close to 20 years now. Jeez. Um, which yeah. When you say it like that, it does feel like a long time. But yeah, but that was the first race. That was the first one. So Brands Hatch was your local circuit? Very much so, about 25 minutes down the road. Yeah. And we watched, we went, Watched everything there. I mean, you name it, we went and saw it. Uh, apart from not very many bike races, I think I've only ever seen two bike races ever, and one of those was a sidecar race. And okay. that was part of a kind of one of our, our uh, national newspapers did a thing where it was um, a pound day. You paid a pound. Yep. There was something of everything, including a bit of Formula One excitement and an air show for a quid. Wow. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. It's such a shit newspaper. There you go. <laughs> Uh, so so racing then sort of became a, a family thing for you uh, with something that you did with the son yeah absolutely 100 percent. and yeah, a lot of stuff racing had been something that uh in, in this case formula one was something that me and my ex were uh you know into we were formula one fans at the time followed the likes of mansell through his career um and yeah it's like a lot of us, you know, it's an interest that turns into something a bit more than that. And I switched onto it pretty quickly. Um, I, I think as many of you know, I trained as a journalist, but didn't work as a journalist for many years. Decided that that was something I perhaps wanted to get involved in, effectively as a sideline, as a hobby, but couldn't while I was still working in government. So that kind of came around. That's why the time frame, 2000, 2001, uh, I left government in 98-99, and by 2000, I was working in the background doing British races for Malcolm Cracknell. Um, and 2002, uh, DSC was established, and this will be our 20th anniversary Le Mans this year. Well, congratulations on surprise. 20 years. Yeah, we've got some surprises to come for that one. It's going to be good fun. I'm I'm very intrigued to see what happens there. So that's actually quite a lot of uh eras in racing then that you've been you've been watching you, oh, yeah. you said that your first race was a group c race and then now here we are talking about uh Le Mans hypercar you know that's what 40 years since I mean, group it's... c <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, is, it is this year's for, it's the 40th anniversary in fact this month 
is the 40th anniversary of the Porsche 956. Yeah. Um, so it's... And you know what? Those cars still look modern. Yeah, they do. It's, um, it's the, it's the sleek know, lines. It's it's something about the the way those those Group C cars were were kind of put together, and they're still absolutely beautiful. Um, but it's interesting when you speak to some of the the faces in racing. Alex Verts is a classic. Mm. So Alex, much as he has been there and he's done that, and he's done one well in Formula One, he's been president of the GP Drivers Association. His dream was drive sports cars, and the reason it was drive sports cars is because he was uh, he went to some kind of motor show in, when he was in karting and there was a presentation and the two cars that were presented, the drivers that presented, I'm trying to think who the owner of the car was. There was his cart and a Group C 956. And he said, you know, as an impressionable kid, he'd never seen anything more astonishing. And that lit the fire. And yeah. that's and his story, um, you know, we'll, we'll do an in-depth one with Alex at some point. Um, his story is, it's a beautiful thing of, you know, doing as well as he possibly could with the talents, the opportunities he had. Um, it was getting his chance in Formula One because he won Le Mans. Yeah. And if you've not heard that story, it's a cracker. It's Flavia Briatore took a meeting with him, clearly didn't want the meeting with him, um, was pretty dismissive. Um, and basically what he said to Alex was, well, I'll tell you what then, um, What's your next race? Well, my next race is Le Mans. You win Le Mans, come back, and we'll give you a test. And he won Le Mans. <laughs> and he won Le Mans. And he got a test. Wow. <laughs> so that, he'd be an excellent uh, subject for a long-form podcast, and that one's on the, a long list of things to do when I finally get around to doing it. Fantastic. Oh, wow. We're getting getting to peek at the, everything that's coming up as well. Look at that. Um, we talk, uh, we've got quite a few questions about Le Mans Hypercar, and so there's a few that I wanted to to get through while we're on the topic. Um, the first one comes from um, uh, Michael Baranowski on uh, on Reddit. Um, he says, what's your opinion about the Hypercar nomenclature? Um, the, he goes on to say that it's created a bit of confusion among fans, especially those coming in to yep. to the sport for the first time. What were your thoughts? If, if I recall correctly, initially the plan was that uh, fans were going to be able to vote for their yes. choice of the name. Do you think they should uh, have? Was, do you think they should have stayed I, with P one? Um, no, I think if you're going to make a change, you need to make a change. Yeah, uh, I'm not a massive fan of the name. I think GTP is fantastic. I, th- I think that's very relevant, etc. I understand why they've gone down that road. It became, I think, a bit of a boat anchor around the neck. It's beginning to focus now and make a little bit more sense. Uh, I've been working on a couple of projects to effectively sports car 101 thing, yeah. which I'd like to help. You will by now, I'm sure, be bored that every time I write about hypercar, I link the two pieces I did that explain the difference between LMDH, et cetera, et cetera. We do seem in sports car racing to have this fantastic talent for making things more complicated than they really need to be. And it's already a complicated but, sport as it is. I mean, we've got like go. pit so, stops with... I think, st- oh, anyway, yeah, oh, sorry. Just, yeah, yeah, just don't get me started. But <laughs> I think in this case, it's a bit of an accident of history. Uh, the way that these regulations evolved was not the way in which they tended, intended to. We all know the story about the Aston Martin Valkyrie. Is it going to happen? Isn't it going to happen? Et cetera, et cetera. That was unfortunate. Where we are now, though, I think basically what all of us need to do, myself included, is get over ourselves a little bit and just 
We are where we are. It is actually genuinely quite simple now. Yeah. Okay. It's quite simple in the same way that LMP1 had cars that were hybrid and cars that weren't. They were two different rule sets. No one ever got out the tree about LMP1 being that different. No. So that's, that's, that's kind of so right. Okay. So hypercar is at the moment three different types of cars. We lose the grandfathered LMP1 cars. Um, next year we gain the, uh, the LMDH cars. So it is basically just a group of cars performance balanced into one class. Yeah. Actually not that different to GT3 if you think about it. No, it's not the fact Hybrid involved, blah, blah, blah. The complication then comes that, of course, IMSA have got the same groups of cars, but have got a different name for them. So that's what it is. Um, I see this pretty simply in these terms. That's my job to explain it to you. Yeah. That's my job, okay? And the only time I ever get in any way, never shouty, but but aerated about it, is if when I'm trying to explain to those that I'm working with and for that that's our job and they then make it more complicated or difficult or try to put other kind of, you know, but you can't do this, you can't do that. Right, stop. The key thing is your audience understand your product. If if I'm telling you they don't understand your product, then either go and find evidence that I'm wrong or please listen because I don't tend to open my mouth in those kind of circumstances unless there's something that needs to be said. So I think the answer here is it is getting easier. Now we're getting to the stage where it's real yeah. and it's got shape. And it is as simple as hypercar is a class. There are two different sorts of car in that class. GTP is exactly the same in a different championship. Yeah. Okay? But exactly the same way as GT3 in, in uh, SRO rules in it's GT3. SP9 is GT3. It's the same thing. Yeah. You're just calling something something different. So I guess it's it's this. We're kind of stumbling through into the light, you know. Um, but there's, there's an important message for those people listening to this because generally speaking, you're in a group that's a far more engaged group of fans, which is, look at it this way. We all know the difference between a Reddit... Uh, thread or discord chat or for that matter a youtube chat that is functional and one that's dysfunctional be the guy that actually helps people to get through this yeah you know you're going to get the kind of turkish nutters and the you know the, <laughs> and the polish nutters and, you speaking know, from explicit experience f1 is going to be on in five minutes oh my God. which calls valentino rossi in okay fine we can deal with the deadheads separately if someone's got a question, there are no stupid questions. Mm. There are no stupid questions. Um, be kind, I think, is that. And be constructive. Because I do think there is a real opportunity here to make a fundamental difference in the way that this part of the sport is regarded. And, uh, and once it's regarded in a more positive way, the opportunities for all of us to enjoy it with better coverage, more free coverage, more in-depth coverage... Um, or access, those are there if we can make a success of this formula. And that's why it's so important right now. That's why I spend a lot of my time sitting down with people in all sorts of places, um, whether it's manufacturers, teams, championships, etc., etc., uh, to basically say, have you considered this? And increasingly, they're open to those suggestions. Cool. Constructive, you know, positive critique is a good thing. I think more and more people are seeing that. They need help. 
That's yeah. What it comes down to. Yeah, of course. Um, do you think the, the name of the class, uh, should have had a rethink once we got into seeing the cars properly? Or was it, once it was set in stone, it was set in stone? I, I think they decided pretty early. Uh, they, they, the, the hypercar thing, I'm pretty clear this is very much a Pierre Fion project. Okay. This is all about Pierre's vision, Pierre's legacy. And I think once he decided that, that was right. I think the, the other thing to, to bear in mind, and it's something that has come up pretty repeatedly in conversations that we've had and we've had on the Discord and, and Reddit, which is, don't forget, we are dealing with an organisation for whom English is not the first language. Yeah, okay. okay. And I think we just, it's a little bit like, you know, do you call it the Le Mans 24 hours or the 24 hours of Le Mans? That debate comes from the language. It's the same with things like the FI, all of it. it. We just, I think, have to be a little bit more internationalist about it. And, you know, if I don't particularly like the word hypercar, you know what? I'll get over it. Yeah. You know, it's it's not like it's, look at what else is going on in the world at the moment. Yeah. It's not a crisis. I think the reality is that's what it's called. The difference, I think, is that we are pretty uniquely looking at a class, a major class of racing cars that's not defined by a group of letters and numbers. And in some ways, that's a good thing. Yeah, I guess it's, it's, it's you know, because here's the thing hypercar, what's hypercar? Well, they're, they're hypercars, they're, they're, they're really, really quick cars. LMP1, what's that? Well, that's Le Mans prototype one. Yeah. Then you've got to explain it again. So it's sort of turn the argument on its head. It is actually a simpler concept to think about it. It is what it says on the tin. These are, forget what came before. Group C cars did that, and LMP1 cars did that, and LMP1 hybrids, amazing though they were, did that. History. What have we got now? These are the quickest cars in this form of sports car racing. That's it. They're hypercars. Yeah. And everything else falls out from that. Think about it in those terms, and it does make more sense. Awesome. That's actually a really nice way of sort of putting it. Um, you mentioned crisis. Speaking of crisis, uh, bike haulers and van wall. We got a few questions about that. Uh, that you did. Zanion uh, Z- uh, asking, um, with bike haulers having minor issues with the van wall name, what are the chances of actually using their car in a race? Um, and, uh, uh, another, uh, we'll leave that other question, f- uh, for a follow on. Um, but what's, what, what do you think? How do you sum up the, the van wall bike haulers thing? Like, what might be useful, might be useful to have a really quick drop through where things currently stand. Yeah. Okay. So it is an issue about trademarking. Um, there is, you can trademark more or less anything. So uh, the Van Wall trademark. For those that don't know what Van Wall is, last raced at a World Championship level in 1958, even before I was born, and I'm pretty damn old. <laughs> um, so the uh, a Van Wall name was initially re-registered by an organisation in the UK, Van Wall 1958, who wanted to build um, complete replicas of the 1958 World Championship. They were the first manufacturers world champions yeah. um, in 58. Uh, that process has been delayed by COVID, as you might expect. So they registered the Van Wall trademark and they registered it, as I understand, in the UK and in the EU. PMC GmbH, which is the company that is effectively the backer for Bicolis, then went and registered the trademark, I want to say last year, might be a year before, but last year in Germany, and have challenged the 
trademarking in the EU as being dormant without commercial activity, which is a bit cheeky, bearing in mind the international situation. They have also uh, attempted to register a worldwide trademark for Van Wall, and I believe have also registered German and EU trademarks for Vandervel, which is Tony Vandervel is the, the van behind Van Wall. Okay. okay, yeah. So uh, the current debate is an argument about the, the, the validity of the EU trademark, if the EU trademark is uh, invalidated to the to the UK entity, then Van Wall will be fine. Things aren't going that smoothly on that front. My understanding is, and I've got the paperwork that shows, that that trademark was renewed for a further 10 years last month. Right. Um, if that's the case, that effectively invalidates the German trademark and the worldwide trademark, because you can't have a worldwide trademark if you've not got Europe. Yeah. Um, that means, in law, um, that Van Wall, the team, are only allowed currently, and even this is arguable, to run the car as a Van Wall and to promote the car as a Van Wall in Germany, which is a bit useless if you're contesting a world championship that doesn't have a race in Germany. Have a race in Germany, yeah. Um, so I'm fully aware of that. I have zero doubt that my colleagues are fully aware of that. The UK entity is absolutely fully aware of that. And I can tell you the ACO and LMEM are fully aware of that. But the answer to your question is, increasingly, unless a financial solution is sought by Bicolis with the existing trademark owners, which does not seem to be part of the plan, there seems little chance that, that car will run as a fan wall. Because the one thing you can guarantee is the ACO are not going to involve themselves in anybody else's legal fight. Yeah. Um, I think one of the other questions is likely to be, why Van Wall? We, yeah, we can <laughs> Long ask Long story. There is a, um, there's a regulation that talks about what you have to be or what approvals you have to have to operate in hypercar. Van Wall faintly ticks that box. Yeah. Whereas Bicolis doesn't. So, so um, we did get we did get a question uh, talking about what defines a manufacturer in LMH. So, is I, it, is I this the is answer, this the ticking box here? Is this what Bicolis is trying to do? It, I think yeah. I think they're trying to sort of sidestep it. They have said they will build road-going versions of the car. Mm, okay. Um, all I'd say is this. To get to that point, there would have had to have been a series of conversations or um, correspondence with the sporting side of the ACO. They wouldn't have gone... Oh, I think we just lost Graham briefly. So I got. So there's conversations with the ACO? Conversations with the ACO. Um, strikes me as they've made things very much more complicated for themselves than they should have done. Uh, as I was saying to someone... Uh, last week, you do wonder why they've not picked up the phone to Christian Koenigsegg or someone else to say, here's an easy way in. Um, and you can, I could think, make your own mind up why it is that they didn't or haven't done that with TVR or with Koenigsegg or with anybody else that might have that, um, that ambition. Um, I think they just need to concentrate on the stuff that they can do well. Yeah. It's a shame. Car looks great. Car does look great. The reason why that car shouldn't be as competitive as, say, a, a um, Glickenhaus is. Um, but that's for the difference between Glickenhaus and, for that matter, Peugeot, because I know that's been part of the discourse as well. 
Well, click and house are building road cars. Yeah, full stop. Absolutely. Um, forget the IMSA issue with Blickenhouse for a moment. Blickenhouse are a car builder. Peugeot, um, Peugeot signed up to the homologation process. Here's the main difference, though. Peugeot actually do own the name Peugeot. Yeah, yeah. There's no dispute. Yeah, there's with no Peugeot, doubt about yeah. that. There's no dispute at all. Um, this is different. We uh, a follow-on from that question, uh, which we got from Solgiero, is um, could a team like Sauber or like Williams, for example, build an LMH and run it in WEC as an established name like that? Is it is it explicitly a, a privateer thing, or is there have to be some sort of significant backing from a, a race team? I'm pretty certain that the regulation, the regulations there for all to see, by the way. But as with everything in regulations, it's open to interpretation. Yeah. And there is always in it in regulation the unless we say different regulation. Yeah. And it's, and it's words. the regulations in French are open to interpretation because is is it Completely with the correct. ACO that the, the French is the like the if there's Completely any dispute. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely right. So it's open to interpretation. It's open to interpretation why What's not open to interpretation is the the main sticking block, stumbling block is ACO are not convinced that Bicolis can prove that they own the rights to that name. Okay, and they're not going to get themselves in a court case allowing that to happen on their ground. Of course, they're not. Um, Would they have accepted Bicolis? The signs are that they would not have accepted Bicolis. And quite why? Well, we don't know all the reasons why. Um, you might reasonably presume that there might be some history there <laughs> okay? Uh, in terms of the commercial arrangements between the two parties. Uh, so the, the undeniable truth here is the ACO, LMEM, the WEC don't need by Collis to make the show yeah. anymore. And that's where I think Colin and his people may have stumbled here pretty badly uh, I think they've made a wrong choice they've made this significantly more complex for themselves than they could and should have done and I genuinely can't believe there weren't other brands out there where a reasonably capable commercial entity could have gone in there offered someone a real prospect for a shop window and come away with what they really need which is a letter with the letterhead at the top of that brand and the agreement of the CEO to say yes you can use our name yeah it, it it does seem we do like to meme on by collars quite a fair bit in the r slash wc community because because they they make it so easy they make it so easy for us but this the, the following question from zanayan is in your career as a motorsport journalist have you ever seen something like this or worse oh yeah 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 i mean that look, it happens all over the place i mean whether or not you're talking life Everywhere is full of shit. It's full of shithousery, isn't it? Really? Yeah, it really is. And sports car racing, as we've seen even this week, um, is full of characters that will try to push the edges. We the uh, the P1 motorsports. I can't remember the name of the dodgy Colombian boat. Yes, in hundreds of millions of dollars worth of Medicare claims for prosthesis. Uh, but who's now going to be serving some hard time. Uh, yeah, there's, there's always been stuff like that. There's always been people doing things with brands that they couldn't, shouldn't. There's all sorts of levels at which 
One of my favourites is when uh, Marcel Tenkat, who you may or may not be familiar with. I've heard um, of it. Now, Marcel used to run uh, a website called Project Le Mans, Dutch, and most recently was the press officer for the GT4 European series. But Marcel worked with Daily Sports Car for a number of years. And one of the stories that he sniffed out was a almost hilarious um, lack of synergy about the GT3 homologation of the Chevrolet Camaro. And at one point, there were three separate and parallel Camaro GT3 programs, two of which made it to the track, okay? Because everybody believed, the everybody seemed to believe they'd got the approval of Chevrolet to do this. It went eventually, of course, to Hans Reiter um, with the Serini car. But, you know, look back on our, um, uh, our Delhi Sports car uh, archive, and you'll see at least two of those cars um, made it to the track. Uh, and that all has to be kind of sorted out. It should be simple, shouldn't it? Yeah. But an, a, an expression of interest is not a signed contract, waiver, or agreement. And mm. you, you, you can and do see it from time to time with brands being banded around. I can, I can remember uh, ages ago uh, a team, team telling me that they were looking to buy two separate brands. One was Jensen, and the one was Lister. Well, knowing who at that stage owned the Lister name uh, and talking to the person that I was talking to, it's pretty obvious they were in dreamland. <laughs> and in fact, they're now, they're, and for, oddly enough, they're now another person in motorsport that's actually doing hard time. Oh, but, um, gosh. Yeah, okay. The, the reality is, look, things of value are actually of value. And there's therefore usually a cost of those things. Trying to short circuit that to your own monetary um, advantage doesn't tend to go well. I think in this case, what I'd like to see Colin and this crazy gang do is either sit down with the UK people and make this right, yeah, because that's what needs to be done, or I won't call it something else. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I mean, uh, we, we've had a suggestion from our live chat that Spiker Spiker is the name that is probably out of money at the moment, maybe. Uh, can't because unfortunately they've got a Russian um, prime ah, shareholder now. Well, and there, there is we one other. There is one other that I'm at a loss to understand why are not involved. And that's Praga. Praga. <laughs> why right. not? Yeah, I mean, if it, if it gets the letterhead, that if they get that letterhead, I I reckon that's a meeting Praga would take in a second if um if everything's straight here. Um. I think they'd take that meeting and say, I can't understand why Van Wall. I mean, you know, it's not like Colin Collins is sitting there dreaming of 1958. Yeah. It's just not. It's just not. It's, there's some nonsense involved here, and I don't fully understand it. But I am increasingly disappointed in a number of my journalistic colleagues. Looks like we've lost. Stand- so uh, you, you, were just, stand- you were just saying that you were increasingly... Uh, disappointed with journalistic colleagues for ignoring the fact that at the moment you've got a motorsport organisation riding roughshod over someone else's rights. That's not the way this should be. Hmm. The question should be asked. I've been attempting to ask the question now for months. Um, Let's not get carried away with the romance of the privateer here. This is something a bit different. This This is something that needs to be right. 
And frankly, if Colin was sitting here right now, um, I'd be saying the same to him, which is, Colin, it's pretty clear. You know, you've, you're a Johnny come lately here. You know what the guy's name and number is. Pick up the phone and come to a deal. Or, oh, the cough. <laughs> there we go. There's the klaxon. Um, <laughs> you actually got tipped off to that from a Reddit thread, if I recall correctly. Did? Yeah. So, correct. so are you going through our comments looking for interesting tidbits like that? No. To- I mean, I, I, look, I increasingly I find that reaching out directly to engaged fans is a positive part of my life. And on the odd occasion, someone will find a link or someone will find a story or something like that where you can then take that another step or another step or another step. Uh, and it's ideas. I mean, look, I'm at the moment pretty much solo, not quite solo, filling a sports car racing website seven days a week 365 days a year yeah i spent a good part of yesterday uh doing three things none of which you're going to see for at least a month one of which is you and i've talked about it trying to pluck up the energy to caption a 60 plus picture gallery of every lmp2 car that's ever raced (laughs) since 2004 um there's some more of that kind of stuff that's coming in the preview stuff for Le Mans, and that involved me finding 150 plus photographs Jeez. from our archive which I did and then the third part of it is looking for stuff to celebrate the 20 years that Delhi Sports Cars covered um, the Le Mans 24 yeah. hours so some of that will be coming together so there's a lot of heavy lifting to be done before you ever get to the stage where a story appears on a website and yeah if i can find something that's that makes life a little bit easier and get something up that people engage with and are enthused by yeah and in that case that was really good detective work by that individual and all credit to them it's a straight answer yeah i was just mostly uh mostly just like chuffed to see reddit get mentioned in a daily sports car article that was that was something very unusual it's, it's a it's a bit like you know the the um, the, the collective uh, joy when you realise that Eduardo had discovered the on Discord. Of Discord. Yeah, that yeah. was hilarious. That, that that is because he used it for the first time at the first virtual Le Mans and found it a better system than the one RCNS that we were currently using the WEC. And look, isn't that something we've we've seen over the last ten years or so, which is Motorsport organisations, particularly on the safety management front, getting over themselves a bit. I mean, yeah, you know, when you get into the kind of virtual safety card, oh, come on. Yeah. You know, just give credit where credit's due, and it's a good idea, and we've taken this from someone, rather than trying to pretend you've come up with it yourself. Yeah, yeah. Come on. Yeah, absolutely. No, stop it. Uh, and it is that, that kind of... I don't have a lot of patience with the not-invented-here attitude, to be honest with you. If it's better, and in this case, if it's safer and it's quicker, and it's more reliable, why the hell wouldn't you use it? Absolutely, and we've got quite a few people in our live chat at the moment. Uh, we've, got a, we've got a little Eduardo sticker. I'm not sure if you can... We, I'm sure you get shown it, uh, just pu- pu- putting that on. He's, he's quite, a, quite, a, quite a loved figure in our community. Um, well, I mean, by the way, if you've not seen the ins and outs of what's happening there, uh, I did get a chance finally to catch up, catch up with Eduardo at Port Rickard, the LMS. So can now confirm although this was confirmed some time ago. There's not really been a public statement. Eduardo will be on board for the full WC this year, including Le Mans. Fantastic. Um, 
will be doing half of the LMS as well. Sweet. So he'll be doing three of the six races where there's no uh, clash, and our Bahraini friend uh, will be filling in for the other three. Cool. That's awesome to hear. It's great to hear his voice um, over the radio. Um, we've got a few questions uh, now about the follow-on effect of LMH. Um, so one of them is about LMP2. This one comes from Ozerup. Um, with the expected growth and the union of LMH and LMDH, um, where yep. do you see what do you see happening with LMP2 as the grids begin to fill with hypercars? Because I mean, next year for 2023, we're expecting what 14, 15 full season entry for the Mans? No. Well, maybe for Le Mans, but I mean, I I think there's two or three things going on. So one of the other stories I've been trying to nail down, but the, 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 it's about the shape of Hypercar GTP 23 to 24. The big what? I mean, obviously the Audi program withdrawal yeah. has had some knock-on effects. I've noticed uh, Dan Lloyd from Sportscar 365 put something up about WRT and their intentions. I know exactly what WRT Ooh. are sniffing around and you know have known that since uh, Sebring. It's, would that, would that, would that seem to start with a P and end with an Orsha? Or am I off base no. there? No? Okay. Well, there we go. No. Um, the big issue at the moment is how much is it going to cost? And uh, there are some significant stories. I need to be quite careful about the way I write it means that I think you're going to see a slower rollout to private teams of some of these uh, LMDHs. It principally surrounds cost. Um, so number one, I think think conservative next year. Okay. There are going to be more cars in the top class. There are going to be exciting cars in the top class. Anybody that's thinking about 15, 16 cars for the full season, I think you could be disappointed. Um, I think the same applies in the United States. Uh, it will get there but it might take a year or so to get there. And there's all sorts of reasons behind it. And we're all going to get really bored of the phrase supply chain. Yeah. Trust me, it's a massive, massive issue right now. Uh, and supply chain issues, you can get over those, but you can get over those at a cost. And I am beginning to hear about cost escalation. But let's not lose the question. The question is about LMP2. And I think the answer there is there's a lot currently up for grabs it's not a surprise but the kind of the emerging story here is what are the big lmp2 teams going to do next year in 2024 and i think increasingly those big lmp2 teams if they can't nail down a hypercar program are going to start looking at gt3 okay that's what i think is going to happen um and i think a part of that is because just the way the history has worked going forward that's you can't have certainty yet about what the shape of LMP2 is going to be. I, I actually have a pet idea. This is my idea, and it's not come from anybody at LMEM, and they might, might as I say these words... This is a Graham Gordon exclusive, everyone. Stop. Well, I, I think there's actually a, a pretty simple one. It, everybody's looking for more space for cars that can bring in more income. Income comes with manufacturer interest, particularly or with big sponsor interest. And there's little doubt that that's going to come from LMH, uh, from, from Hypercar rather, and from GT3 moving forward because, you know, customer sport do put money in. Which means for your biggest events, principal concentration needs to be in the top class and in the GT class, which there will be one, okay, for the WC. 
which begs the question, if you've got, let's say, the opportunity to put in, let's say, 35 cars for a WC season, and let's say you do get to 15, no doubt in my mind you can certainly fill a WC race with a further 20 GT3 cars mm. that don't have LMP2 okay, just... or WC. Don't have LMP2 as top class or the European Le Mans series and the Asian Le Mans series, but guarantee that the top 10 cars from that series will go to Le Mans. Okay. Do that. Yeah. So make that more sustainable. Give people something of value. If there, if there is space for an invitation class for maybe Spa or maybe uh, one or two other races, then do so. But remove that out uh, and give, because what people are looking for is certainty. Yes. Certainty that they will get into the uh, on the grid. Certainty, particularly, that they will go to Le Mans because that supports that um, that business model. There's very wealthy people with multi-millions every year of disposable income that want to use that multi-millions not only to have fun and to compete and to win something of value in racing at a championship, but particularly to go to the biggest race in the world, yeah. and that's Le Mans. And so for me, if they're not thinking of that, it probably should be. And I know there'll be some people kind of, you know, with their hair on fire. The reality is the world has changed. Mm. I, I, if you can find space with LMP2 class and WEC, if Hypercar does lift off to the point where we all hope it can get into the mid-teens and go further north, great. But that has a consequence in terms of space on the grid. Yeah. And if you look at the kind of budgets for GT3 and LMP2, the reality is that GT3 is going to be probably more expensive than LMP2 in the first place. Yeah. It's, it's as simple as that. It's why you're seeing now the... Uh, to give you a for instance, I'm trying to think of the, 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 um, the numbers... A Ferrari 488 GT3 costs something like four times the amount per kilometer than a Lamborghini Huracan GT3. Yeah. Something like that. Because you're paying to drive a Ferrari. And, and there are aspects of the way the package is. The new Ferrari cuts that price almost in half, but is still more expensive than a Lamborghini. Yeah. Okay. So you're reducing the price point, the operating price points, of owning and racing a Ferrari, you're still paying a premium for that brand. These are the realities that people don't see when you're dealing with the astonishing cost of international motorsport, absolutely astonishing costs involved in it. So they're the kind of things that need to be taken into account. And then you look from there to hypercar and the prices are just bonkers. Yeah. I mean, a, I'm hearing at the moment the cheapest route in, with possible exception of the Glickenhaus, to hypercar, is something like two and a half to three times the cost of a current Ferrari GTE car. Wow. Okay? And then you've got the running costs, which are about another 50% on top of a current running budget for a GTE or an MP2 car. So you're talking, including buying the car, something getting close to eight figures for a year. For a okay, year. you can amortize that car over several years. It's not as simple as go and turn up and pay over your two and a half million euros for a Porsche MDH and go and run it, because you're then going to go and find another five million to run the thing. Yeah. So 
I think we might well see some differences in the shape of the grids than perhaps people are expecting. If they're not thinking about LMP2 in those terms, my view is they're making a mistake. Yeah. Do you think we see then a reduction of amateur racing at, in the WEC and at Le Mans? If there's, if there's a concentration of no. hypercar no. and no. GT3? No? No, be- no, because GT3 is going to be pro-am. Entirely? It's as simple as that. Yep. So here's the, here's the point. If you add up what we've got in the WEC at the moment, let's say 32 cars, five or six of them are hypercars. Um, at the moment, five or six of them are GT Pro. They're your pro cars. Yeah. So let's say that's 12 to 15 cars in a good year. This year's not a good year in no. terms of numbers. Okay. Well, that's what we're looking at for hypercar combined. Mm. So that's your pro. Then the AM side of things is everything else, which is your LMP2 and GTMs. Same same kind of split, I think. The opportunities are still going to be there. And I think, actually, in terms of the way that um, the sport is evolving, if it was me and I had the, the, the money and the talent to go racing and wanted and was enthused to go and do these big race meetings, and you want to go and talk to your, your buddies in whether or not it's property or whether or not it's my, whatever it is. Yeah. What are you? What do you think they're going to be more impressed by you telling you did that weekend? I re- went and raced an Orica, or I went and raced a Lamborghini, or a Aston Martin, or a McLaren, or a Ferrari. Yeah. There's no doubt that that car has more cachet. And by the way, the lasting value of those cars as an investment is significantly greater, depending on the brand of the car and, frankly, the success you have with that individual car as that moves forward. So it's another kind of layer mm. of the onion, if you like, as you peel it back and peel it back. What the privateer teams are desperate for is a business model that they can sustain not just their current customers but can keep that conveyor belt rolling. Yeah, That's the really important part. And increasingly, if you've got LMP2 being come down, you know, reel back in, those cars are less of an experience for the gentleman drivers, yeah. serious gentleman drivers. And that's where we're beginning to get to the stage where some of the guys that, you know, have been racing them for many years are talking to me quietly in the background and saying, not float my boat Not anymore. anymore. Yeah. And this is a concept that I, I talked about, it would have been, what, three or four years ago now when we were looking at the very end of LMP1 uh, as a two-manufacturer um, endeavor. Um, the idea of pace creep. So, you know, we, we were looking at Le Mans last year and we saw that the GTE cars were doing lap times faster than the GT1 Porsche in the historic event. We were looking at the, the LMP217 cars, which were doing lap times faster than the Audi's R18 in 2011. Yep. And then while LMP1... And then, t- and then, all, of a su- all, the- then all of a sudden, the, the we're top- being told that hypercars are slow. Yeah. They're not slow. They're not they're slow. Epic, but- they're just not as fast as the, the bonkers mobiles that cost 10 times more than they did. And, and I think so the, the, the reality is... Uh, sorry, you asked the question. The question, the question I want to ask is, is, did did we did everything creep too far um, while LMP1H was at its bonk- as, at its most bonkers, and now now that we're reeling everything in, does that mean that we we kind of you know jump the shark and pulling everything back is making those guys who are in those LMP2 cars less interested in racing those cars? Okay, 
I think what you've got, and I think there's a fair amount of the audience of this show is part of this group, which is nostalgia is a fantastic thing. Okay, but nostalgia yeah. does have phases. So if you can imagine people who are massively into it to group C at the time, and then what happened in the early nineties and it all went boom, and then you came in with much slower GT1 cars. I mean, significantly slower yeah. GT1 cars. Isn't that the same thing? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And yet, is, is anybody at the moment saying that GT1 cars are anything other than awesome? No, no, they're not. Yeah, that's a good point. Why, di- why different? Yeah. Okay. The reality is it's not about speed. It's about competition. It's not about ultimate speed. It's about competition. And then you've got to consider the, the next thing, which is no doubt this is a formula that is hoping to draw in a significant new audience yeah. for the cars, for the drivers, for the racing. They don't have that stored memory. And as long as we've got five, six cars barreling into turn one at Le Mans side by side, not just on lap one, but lap two and lap 102 and lap 302, they're not going to give us stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's the, in the many downsides of balance of performance, the upside is you should, if you do it properly, be able to sustain a level of competition and variety that we're not, we've not been able to sustain in classes that have not had that. GT3 is the ideal example of exactly that. Yeah. Okay. A what has been a pretty well managed process. They've not so much managed to, to uh, manage the cost escalation as well as they might have done, but I think they're beginning to wake up to that again. But the if we end up in let's say four years time, we've still got say five six manufacturers racing for the overall at every world championship race at every IMSA race and particularly at Daytona and the Le Mans 24 hours I don't think we can have any complaints yeah but whatever that comes back again at that you know oh the cars are so slow oh the the like looking out is terrible they're to balance everything down to the slowest car yes yeah yes they are because that's what balance of performance means yeah and by the way if you would like the example of what the cars were balanced around. The cars were balanced around a GT3 to start with, effectively a Porsche Cup car. That was the reference car, okay? You know, was what GT3 used to be. Yeah. It was a Porsche Cup car. Look at where we are now. Yeah. It's, Guess it's, what it's... happens next? Guess what happens next? The step back. Smart people push the envelope. Yeah. They push that envelope. And, you know, it, it's, I mean, again, looking back at the last 20 years from DSC, and looking back at the debate about cars that were struggling to make 330 at Le Mans, these were awesome cars. These were Dallara's, Pescarolo's, you know, proper LMP1 cars struggling. And for the most part, that's been changes in the in the um, circuit, grip levels on the circuit with uh, Parmac being relayed, easing off some of the extremes uh, for good reasons, and tyre technology, yeah. which has been the massive step forward that everybody misunderstands it's, it's benefiting from yeah so, these cars are not slow i i would prepare to bet right here right now in two or three years time we'll be talking about this as being a golden era of competition and not just numbers awesome i'm gonna hold you to that 
Um, we're gonna. I want. I want you to rip through three or four questions really, really quickly. Um, so only only two or three sentences you're allowed this time on each. Um, Fair enough. We talked about uh, a GT Pro. Uh, yes, the idea of GT3 being pro am in ACO competition. Yep. Um, a few questions from that. Michael Baranowski asking IMSA's marching on with GTD Pro, and that seems yep. to be going well. Whereas ACO seems to be committed to a GTD uh, or sorry a GTM sort of uh like a gtm extension sort of thing what's your view on that um imsa uh deciding to create gtd pro while wc seems more focused on amgt racing is there a specific reason for g uh, for the wc's decision comes from accurate soup just uh, three or four sentences what's your read on the the sort of difference in philosophy between the imsa gt pro and the aco's gt3 am formula i think wc ACO are keen on pushing the hypercar project as hard as they can, as soon as they can. Yeah. They always have the opportunity, remember, to change their mind in two or three, two or three years, depending yeah. on the way things go. But I think if you look at what we've seen, Asia Le Mans is a great example of it. Look at the numbers there. Mm. If actually you can fill your grid with high-quality teams, with high-quality cars and high-quality drivers – and more particularly from the ACO's point of view, those brands that would be bringing activation to their race meetings, I can't say that they're making a mistake. It also, by the way, does give sustainability to the professional teams. Do I mourn the end of GT Pro and the Pro? Yeah, I do. I yeah. think it's really sad. I sort of think it probably could be back at some point. But let's start thinking, not in terms of a year or two years, Pierre Fion's made it clear, if four cars commit to a full season, they'll, they'll consider it. They're not going to. Yeah. They're not going to principally because this has been driven, this decision, by Porsche and Ferrari, who provide the vast majority of the cars that would be available. I think if a group of manufacturers came back in a year or two or three or four years' time and said, you know what, can we talk about a change, that would be seen positively if those manufacturers do what they need to do, which is to back up their idea with cold hard cash, you, you need to see that fan outreach that which we don't have at WC race meetings. You do have it at IMSA race meetings, yeah, which okay. is, by the way, where there's a difference. Yeah. OK, so th there is a difference in terms of the way in which those manufacturers are viewed and are activated by the two championships. You go to an IMSA race meeting, there is a vendor row. There are yeah. three or four of those manufacturers with things they are showing off. That doesn't happen for the most part at hardly any of the WEC races. And that, to my mind, is an error that I think they're going to be trying to correct. Long three sentences there. I'll, I'll rein you back in for next time. Uh, another qu uh, question we mentioned Audi. Um, uh, Hieronymus asks, uh, with Audi dropping out early from their LMDH program, do you think the, the legendary four rings to rule them all um, could eventually make a comback? Is that something that you see on the cards? I think it's, possi it's possible. Who knows? I mean, if we'd have been talking about this eight, nine months ago, we'd all look on, no, of course, it be back. It's going to be glorious. Price knows what's going on there. Okay. We know it's involving Formula One. We know it's involving industrial um, costs at the moment across the whole thing. So I've just been slipped a note here from um, a lot of safety car in our live chat. Uh, Volkswagen Group CEO Herbert Dias, Dias, Dias says Porsche and Audi have decided to enter F1 in 2026, uh, approximately mm -hmm. when we started this podcast. So with that now in mind, 
Well, that's that's not a surprise. I mean, you know, it is a matter of, you know, we know that both parties have been talking to multiple people. Also, the story about that was then denied about McLaren and Audi. There's been stuff to do with Williams. There's been stuff to do with Sauber, blah, blah, blah. blah. I, I mean, I, I my view is I'm not going to be distracted by any of that. If I want to go to Formula One, delighted for them. Have great fun. I won't be watching it. Is the OK, answer. but balls the living daylights out of me at the moment. It just does. Um, and I've frankly not got time. But, you know, what does that mean that they can't come back? It doesn't mean that they can't come back. Right now, they're definitely not coming. But here's the thing. They've got a design. They've got a car. Um, they could do it if they chose to do it, but it's likely to be a customer-based program. That's the most likely avenue for them to come. Yeah. Um, I don't see it anytime soon, particularly if they're distracted by trying to uh, to rack up the multi-millions of euros to get into F1. And, you know, and that's a, a massive issue for them at the moment with the state of the global economy. Uh, so the answer is, sadly, no, I don't see that happening. And I do think that's a mistake. Yeah, fair enough. It was, it, especially for the modern endurance fan, Audi and Le Mans kind of go a bit like that. I think that. it's a mistake. Yeah. I think that, I think that's, I think that's very, what they're doing at the moment is fundamentally off-brand. And I think they have an opportunity to tell a better story by doing whatever it is they're going to do and this. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm not party to the the numbers, but everything I understand about the numbers is the numbers we'd be talking about for LMDH are peanuts compared to the other alternatives. Yeah, fair enough. Um, you were, we were talking about balanced performance. A question from Rep- Representative Sock83. Uh, will, okay. will we ever have a top class without BOP again? Or uh, is, is this how Lamar is going to go for the next decade? Never, never say never. I mean, EV route could be interesting. But um, I don't think we're going to see the point of cost escalation that we saw through LMP1 hybrid for an awfully long time. It's simply not sustainable. Yeah. And particularly when you have to look forward to where is the next big challenge coming, it without a shadow of a doubt is climate change. That's the big, that is the gorilla in the room. Okay. Uh, so that's the opportunity for a truly technology led response. Is anybody brave enough to, open that Pandora's box to there being no cost cap, no balanced performance. I just don't see it. I just think we're in a different world. And we, you know what? We're correct to be in a different world. You've yeah. got to look at the the uh, the realities of science. You've got to look at the realities of the eco- economic forces behind that. Um, I don't see any appetite at all industrially for a, an open rule book anymore. And here's the thing, guys. You can be pleased that we saw the last era of that for the time being. Okay, that's uh, kind of sad to hear because the LMP1 era was bonkers awesome. crazy. Yeah, um, but awesome. Yeah, it could be rocking in my chair and telling my grandchildren, "I was there, son." Yeah, me and that John Hindoff screaming our heads off <laughs> all the bonkersness. You know, I mean that 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 it's to be regretted. It's gone, but it's gone. But then. Think about some of the other areas that we see through kind of rose-tinted spectacles. Group C, amazing golden era that undoubtedly was, evolved through a number of iterations, including one that was really heavily restricted in terms of fuel efficiency. People forget that. What they look at is these beautiful cars and think life was better in those days. 
but you know it was in some ways but not in others yeah absolutely and <coughs> excuse me the the ever progressing uh you know uh power of technology will mean that we're going to keep moving in different directions that we don't we don't know what's coming next um no, and don't. that's you know, kind of awesome it is you know i mean just just enjoy the fact you've got really clever people prepared to deciding that what they want to do with that cleverness is to focus on something this pointless <laughs> i like it um let's move away from racing and hardcore uh you know what's going to happen in the future let's let's uh go through some questions about uh your experience in broadcasting and in in watching motorsport and the first question i've got here is from james racing geek how different is the challenge of being the lead commentator on the asian le mans series broadcast versus being the lead analyst as you so very delicately put it uh uh, on wc and elms is is that a, a big difference in how you you have to sort of prepare for those weeks uh, not in terms of preparation I, I i turn up prepared because i do this for a living so yeah, it's not absolutely. i don't gram if you like so in terms of the the physical act of doing the job lead is a lot more challenging because there's a lot more going on so my job is to describe to you the watching viewers or the listening viewers listening listeners rather um what it is you're seeing or hearing uh, and if I don't do that, then I've dropped the ball. Uh, whereas analyst is pretty simple by comparison. As I said before on a couple of these podcasts, there's a lot of things going on in my ear. I'm producer, they might be asking me, what do we need to look at next? I need to then find a pause to talk back to him so that you don't hear it to say, find the 53 Ferrari, they're catching the 24 Lamborghini. Yeah, uh, That goes on. I've got possibly, but not so much in the Asian Le Mans series, someone talking into my ear from the pit lane saying that uh, they've got somebody with them. Can we put them to air there or do we wait for a camera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then beyond that, you you, know, you get things like we do have systems failures. We had it at uh, Paul Ricard where our brand new um, Timing uh, strategy set up fell over with 40 minutes of the race to go, just the very worst time. Um, so the answer is, in terms of preparation, I'm lucky because I do this for a living and I don't do anything else. Okay, so I only do sports car racing. I've got some other bits and bobs that I do professionally away from racing uh, here in this office, but that's it. Um, so I don't have to do what a lot of people have to do, which is to learn a lot in a short period of time because I should know it. Yeah. Okay? The, the the challenge. I would say this. It's mentally very taxing. And you realize that when you're finished and you realize how tired you are. Putting on a headset like this is my happy place. I love doing it. You know, I I love going into that booth, picking up the headset, plugging in, switching on, talking to colleagues, being ready to go. And then five, four, three, two, one live. I, I love it more than words can say. It's a straight to the answer. I'm privileged to be able to do it. I'm grateful for those that have allowed me to do it and continue to allow me to do it. Um, And what it does do is it does make me possibly a little more demanding of the quality of what you're presented with, both from our broadcasts, because we're always pushing to do more and better, and from other broadcasts. And that's why when Marshall gets stuck in on the Eurosport side of things, I can't agree or disagree with him because i don't i haven't heard it yeah 
I absolutely agree with the, the principle, which is if you've turned up to the biggest race of the year and you weren't prepared, that's not on. Yeah, absolutely. It's not on. Okay? You can't be making basic errors about the cars, the racing, the classes. The drivers are perhaps a little more challenging when you scrape below the first two veneer levels of professionalism. But the reality is you're an audience, and for the most part, you're paying to watch this. That needs to be treated with more respect. So it's not a finger being pointed at any individual. It's a general principle that treat this as seriously as you would any other job. You do that if you turn up prepared and you've got a good team around you and the technicals work fine, then people should be informed and entertained. That's the way I do it. Uh, when you're commentating on the WEC, do you respond to Haven saying something and think, I would have described that differently? Or is that just something that doesn't brush into your mind when you're doing that sort of stuff for the WEC? Martin is just awesome. I, he is number one thing I'll say about Martin is he is just a lovely, lovely man. Okay. Um, does he make mistakes? We all make mistakes. Part of my job is to correct the obvious ones and to do it in such a way that it doesn't come across like a chiding parent. Not like, not like Alan McNish. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, Alan, you know, Alan was what a, genuine privilege to, to stand alongside him for several years and trade blows with him if you like <laughs> at times. Yeah. And Ant, Ant Davidson is a fundamentally different character. Another lovely guy. I think he's gonna be awesome at this. I think he's gonna be great. We had real fun um at what was quite a challenging race meeting at uh, at Sebring. They just slotted in really beautifully. So the answer in terms of Correcting people is gentle. He yeah. doesn't mean to make an error, or he might have misidentified. And you know, we've never fallen out. Not not ever once have fallen out in the years that I've been working with with Martin. We've never fallen out about anything he said or I've said. We might have a conversation about I've done that a bit differently. Yeah, we we're, we're grown ups. We understand that it's the here and now, and it's live. And we know there are lines you do not cross. And I think that's the key to it is we're not the show. Okay? Yeah. You're seeing is the show. And we're just looking to try to make it better and more entertaining and not shout. I don't have to shout. Sometimes it's, oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. I was watching a couple of races over the weekend. It's kind of you kind of think, stop shouting. Stop yeah. shouting. I'll be blunt. A little bit of this, and this is going to be highly controversial. Okay. It's not everybody. It's come a little bit back from the sim racing community, where it's uh, people who get a bit shouty. It doesn't need shoutiness. If that's a style that people like, good luck to you. I don't. Uh, what I'm looking for, I don't want someone to be calm and collected. I want a bit of elevation to it, but I don't need this all the time. <laughs> because that's too much. What you can do is say, that's a great move. He's got him up the inside. And away he goes, Graham. Oh, that's the one, Carl Martin. You know, <laughs> yeah. Tone. Tone and not volume. Because it's a 12-lap race. Volume can work for 12-lap race. Try that over four hours and I can... People can turn you down. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, 
that's a very very good point that you've made and i've got a, a like you talk about sim racing i've got a little bit of uh sim racing commentary experience um something that uh a few a few people that i've got involved with do is they do a full length bathurst 1000 and yep. as part of that as well uh stairs uh my mate alistair who puts it together he's got an incredible setup where he's got three computers uh running just the broadcast and we have like an external camera as well where we can do like stuff in front of whiteboard and it's fantastic but yep. all of that stuff is to service the racing and yeah as you yep. said if you try and be shouting for you know, six hours from Bathurst 1000, it doesn't happen. Shouty, shouty and extremists is fine. Shouty as a style. Yeah. Just no. It's a bit harder. It gets, it's tiring. It's it's actually what it is. It's like, let's put it this way. If in your life you have a friend or a relative or a partner that shouts all the time, it's not going to last very long, is it? That just sounds, that just sounds like lunch at Nonna's for me, Graham. Sorry. Fair enough. enough. But there you go. That's, that's what, that's what, that's my view. I, I love what I do. I'm very lucky that I work with people that I like. All of them. There's not a person that I work with in broadcasting that I don't really like. Ollie Gavin is awesome. Absolutely love him to pieces. Um, yeah, Ant Davidson, I think, is going to be a fantastic fit. I've, I've known Ant, of course, already, but to work with him more directly is very different. The same with Martin. Johnny Palmer for the LMS, I just love working with all of them. And long may that continue. I am very, very jealous that you get to work in an environment where you love everyone that you work with, because that's that's very rare and you're very lucky. Um, I've, got to, I've got to do this one. This is a, a Reddit classic. Um, would you rather fight... A hundred Rosie and Rocky sized Marshall Pruitts. I assume Rosie and Rocky, uh, the chicken, the chicken farm. Or one Marshall Pruitts sized Rocky. Oh, there was cats. Oh, sorry. Uh, okay. Uh, a hundred, a hundred Rosie and Rocky sized Marshall Pruitts. Or one yes. Marshall Pruitts sized Rocky. This, this comes from the Wawa 24. This is, this is a Reddit classic. Hang on. Hang on. We've got a guest coming in. We're gonna, we're gonna guess. Okay. Well, then we'll ask, I'll ask the next no. question next. Okay. Yeah. Is he gonna come on? Yes, there he is. He's just here. There's, there he is. There he is, There's Oscar. And Trudy in the Company background. Hello, Trudy. Show. Hello, Trudy. Say hello, Trudy. Hello. Hi. This is a live podcast. All right. Okay. <laughs> Trudy just delivered my lunch and Oscar's lunch with it, and as you'll see, Oscar will become part of the broadcast from here on in. So there he is. There, well, okay. We'll, we'll we'll leave we'll leave the question about uh, Marsha Pruitt and his cats. Oh, I'll tell you the rocky okay. rosy bit. The thought, the, the thought of wrestling a Marshall Pruitt-sized cat—that's um, that's a that's a dead, deadly beast, and, and 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 actually, a Marshall wouldn't mind me saying so. That's too big to deal with. Um, so it would be the former rather than the latter. Uh, the hundred Rosie and Rocky-sized Marshall Pruitts. You want to just feed my dog some banana? No problems. Well, the next question we have um, is uh, from uh, Mark Clarkson, M.W. Clarkson. What's the best breed of dog, and why is it a husky? <laughs> It's uh, it's a husky, and but it's why? this husky because he's such a beautiful boy. Oh, look at him! <laughs> <laughs> no, he's awesome. I mean, um, those that don't know our history with this, uh, Oscar joined us about two and a half years ago, just uh, about six months before lockdown, and he is now a five and a half year old Siberian husky, about thirty two kilos. Um, he is just a food motivated bundle of awesomeness. Um, or morning walking with Trudy, and uh, he's now back. And the next, the next uh, little fixed point in his <laughs> in his day is is that piece of banana. Is he going to get it? This piece of banana. 
Is he going to get it? Is he going to get it? Gently. Yeah, beautiful. It doesn't snap. It's, it's just ace. So, um, my first ever dog, by the way. I was going to say, you, you've uh, you've no, got a uh, DSC cat you, you mentioned quite a fair DSC bit. Cat, a DSC cat stunt double. Um, so, DSC cat, uh, uh, whose actual name is Tango. Uh, guess what colour she is. Um, and we've had Tango now for, we think, about 15 and a half years. So, we've had her since she was eight weeks old. Wow. We used to have her mum as well. Sadly passed away. And then some years later, we got Bear. Bear is a similarly uh, ginger and white, um, overly aggressive male cat. There you go, a little bit of crab stick for the boy there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, but this is this is his routine. This is what happens every lunchtime here in the office. Fantastic. So, so are you more of a, a cat person or a dog person? I'm just going to quickly move the, the Discord. Both? Both. Both. I, I think they've got their places. He... He's a great companion, um, yeah. and you know he's he, he's an awesome boy. He wasn't very well treated by his first owners, um, so he can be a bit scared of some people, and clearly has taken a beating at some point. So you can't in any way. You've got to be kind. You've got to be kind of calm with him. Doesn't like if anything gets noise. He doesn't like crowds. Doesn't like going into shops. Doesn't like any of that. Um, but other than that, he's just such a kind boy. Uh, he's just lovely. He, he, you know, as with a lot of animals, they can sense what's going on. And if someone's a bit sad, you'll tend to find him sitting next to them, oh. uh, which is just some. It's either that or they've got a plate of sandwiches. <laughs> it could be, it could be either or, really. Probably both. If you're sad, get a plate of sandwiches. You won't be without them. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, oh, that's fantastic. Um, a few, a few more questions about like just broadcasting and just general motorsport stuff. Yeah. Um. Uh, one thing that we've gotten here from Bonnie Last Forty Seven, uh, someone that oh, hello, yes, uh, someone. I remember Bonnie Last Forty Seven? Yes. Uh, she asks, as a as a British motorsport journalist, I'd like your p- perspective on what you find the most and least endearing about your the fans that you encounter around the world and around different parts of the world. Um, so she goes to say, uh, what do you find? particularly interesting about people in North and South America or in Asia or in Australia or in, in in Africa have you done any race events in Africa yeah, nothing. I've, not, I've never been to Africa I've never okay. been to Kilami remember we were supposed to go for WEC just before Covid yes uh, Australians are the worst I know right pure... <laughs> Look, almost all motorsport fans that I encounter are fantastic enthusiastic pretty knowledgeable Inquisitive, um, respectful of kind of distance, and sometimes have to be persuaded to go and do things that they're allowed to do. Um, when they're in groups, when they're hunting as a pack, uh, that's uh, that, that that you know. If anything, I think is even more awesome. Um, the ones not fans, the people who go and next stuff from race circuits, they're not fans. They're just going to stuff their next stuff from race circuits. Anybody that will describe themselves as an enthusiast or a fan of anything has got to be a positive part of life and society, hasn't it? And if part of that is that they they know a lot and want that endorsed and want that kind of that's fine. And if part of that is they've got questions, delighted, delighted. If I've got ten minutes, my happy place is certainly to stand and talk to someone and say, you know, uh, give them the answer about what do you think about that. Of course, it is. That's human discourse. You know, life is full of conversations, and that's the way it should be. Um, 
So around the world, there's not a huge amount of difference. The big differences come with the amount of um, access you're permitted to have. Okay. And our friends in IMSA are very lucky if they get a lot more access um, because there generally aren't garages. There's a couple of exceptions. For goodness sake, is one. Uh, there generally aren't garages. Uh, the general rule of thumb is that it's going to open awning so you can get these two sides and watch what's going on with the cars. The teams generally have, have woken up to the fact that, that actually does make life, for the most part, uh, pretty positive. Um, so they, they'll go along with that uh, that aspect of life as well. Um, and then I think we're now coming into a moment where I hope we're going to see something really positive, which is Spa will see the paddock open to fans for the first time yeah. since uh, pre-pandemic times in WEC. We saw that over the weekend at Brands Hatch with GT World Challenge Europe powered by Valentino Rossi. Um, and the reality, I think, is people have been hungry for it. I think they're going to show their awesomeness in terms of the way they respond to that. I'm hoping we're going to have a party atmosphere of the nicest sort at Le Mans this year, uh, in that people, I think, are going to be coming back and enjoying something they'll know a lot that I've missed for yeah. too damn long. Um, but not a huge amount of difference. Um, it's an odd thing from my perspective that people don't tend to recognise me. <laughs> they tend to recognise my voice. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it is quite, there's one kind of amusing aside, which is that on occasion, be standing in a group of people having a conversation, there's this kind of meerkat-like response, kind of, you know, squirrel? <laughs> it's, not, it's not a squirrel. Okay. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but it's that, that's nice. I like that. I like the fact that people like what I do. But why wouldn't you? Yeah. You know? But I think you've just got to approach it again that, that, with openness and with kindness and being generous for your time if you've got it. And if someone's got a question and that enhances their day or, you know, someone can be introduced to someone and that enhances their day, um, then that's got to be a good thing. And, you know, I'm hoping, uh, I think I've, I've said to you and said to a, a few people, I'll be at two or three of the IMSA races this year in a completely different role for myself as a team member uh, for a couple of races. And, Ooh. Uh, there will be a couple of people on the Discord server that have reached out and said, I'm going to be there. I will be reaching out and we will do some, some awesome stuff. Awesome. Uh, there are going to be opportunities to see some things you otherwise wouldn't have seen. And that's something I think more of us could do to give more of an experience to more people in the sport that everybody's passionate about. Absolutely. And, and, on, on the note of, you know, getting the look sort of behind the curtain, I'll remember, I'll always remember, uh, getting that sort of pit walk and that guided pit, uh, paddock view of, uh, the Asian Le Mans series at the bend that you so generously did for not only me, but it's a fun. group of us. It's, it was really, really good. And, and being able to sit with, um, not sit with, uh, but have, uh, that representative from Ligier. I've forgotten his name, but, uh, he was talking about Christoph. Yeah, Christoph. Where we were talking yes. about, you know, the entire carbon fiber development side of the 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 entire uh, um, company and how all that all works and how they, he was there to service all of these teams as the representative. Like that's that's the sort of stuff that you don't read or see in a in a. In a race. Here's the point. 
neither is that difficult. I mean, yeah. I know years back, when Delhi Sports Car had a fair amount of backing for a couple of three years from Nissan up until 2015, and they pressed the bonkers button. Yeah. Um, and we were close at that point to starting a thing on Friday at WEC race meetings where there'd be some kind of staged event that fans would be able to come in for the evening and there'd be food stalls open and there'd be, there'd be free entertainment and that would be effectively you know, an opportunity for interaction with significant people for the championship on stage in the circuit with maybe an open pit lane to go along with that. And if people were there and you could get an autograph or two, then great. If they weren't, you could go and still go a look at the cars in relative... Uh, I, I think, again, that's something that would be a really good thing for them to look at again as we as we kind of push forward into what's going to be a very different era. Mm. I never stop trying to get people to think in those kind of terms yeah. because, you know, the, the most undervalued asset that most sporting offerings have is their existing fan base. Everybody's very hungry. I mean, you know, you'll get bored of hearing it, but drive to survive, blah, blah, blah. You know, because people have seen that doing something has opened the doors to a brand new audience, not entirely positive in some cases, but let's yeah. be kind. Um, don't forget the people you've already got. Yeah. Because they're the ones who sustained you to this point. And if what that means is you're offering something in your product that says we're encouraging more people to come, but that we also need to encourage the people who've already the been people coming. We've got to, to bring people with them. Yeah. Why, would, why wouldn't you do something on a Friday night? Absolutely. Why wouldn't you do that? If, uh, to be blunt, Michael, if they, if they said to me and they said to a couple of the other guys, we're thinking of doing this, can you give a couple of hours on Friday? Yes. Yeah. Yes, that that sounds like fun. Can I have a beer? Yes, you can. <laughs> you know? Brilliant. Will you give me? Will you give me a free burger at the end of it, so I don't have to worry about what I'm going to get fed tonight? Then yes, yes, I'll happily stand there with a microphone and um, MC something with whether it's forty or forty thousand people um, to get questions going to I don't know Oliver Jarvis, maybe Kobayashi, you name it. Um, that, that, that I'd love to do that. On the note of Kobayashi, uh, I'm glad that you brought it up. There was one question that was really interesting about his role at Toyota now. I do want to round back to the fan stuff because we've got a bunch of questions about that. But seeing as you mentioned Kobayashi, um, Sawpasser has asked... Um, I'll, I'll just read out everything that he's written here. Um, I wonder if a newly appointed team principal Kobayashi, is he a puppet for Toyota's sort of like the Queen of England is a, a puppet for a, a, like a figurehead for someone else uh, making the decisions or is he the one really in control of the race team at the track? So is there, is there, is, um, is he a figurehead sort of position as a driver and a team principal or is there, uh, is there direct control that he has at the track in those two positions? He is the team principal. He's the team principal. So, so, so he's the one running the show at the track. Ultimately, ultimately, they're going to be they're going to be kind of walls that they're not going to tell us about. Yeah. No, make no mistake. I had this conversation with Anthony Davidson, and Anthony came in and goes, "He really is in charge." I'll give you a for instance. Uh, when they arrived at Sebring, and they got the at Sebring, we have these kind of semi permanent tents. Yeah kind of quite big and the, the pit setup is there you know uh, 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 in those tents and apparently from what I gather uh, Kimi turned up 
didn't like the look it was the way it was set up wanted some more branding they had to go and get some more branding um if i explain to you the principal reason for he is effectively toyota sam's eyes and ears at that race meeting okay yeah so he has got he has got a direct line to the head of toyota okay who if you don't know so he is absolutely motorsport nuts raced yeah. for many years at the Nürburgring 24 hours no no Kamui it's not a ceremonial position he has some responsibilities um what I don't know but I think we can probably guess is whether or not that goes as far down as dealing with any kind of team orders and race strategy my guess is not but um did Jose Maria Lopez have to have a meeting without coffee and biscuits with Kamui I think he did yeah Pro- quite possibly did. yeah because yeah, at the, the end of is, no, he really is the team principal. Yeah, well, there you go. So that's we had a few people asking that in the chat. Um, so there we go. That question has now been settled. Um, a a, a follow up question: Does Kamui uh, negotiate his driving contract with himself as the team principal? Yeah, that's why. That's why he keeps turning up in over bigger cars. <laughs> um, talking talking back to the fan side of things, I've got a question from Mark Clarkson again. Um, he says, outside of Lamar, which country or venue or circuit or series or event has the best fan atmosphere? You, you've been to quite a few events around the world, quite a few big events around the world. Which one do you do you look forward to most for the fan atmosphere of it all? The fan atmosphere. I I love WEC races at Fuji. They're yep. great. Bathurst 12 hour is great. Uh, IMSA races are usually really awesome. Um, all of those, without a shadow of a doubt, they're the ones that stand out in terms of the fan interaction. Um, I'm trying to think of a, a good example. They're all very different. Sebring wasn't quite back to what it normally was. I think people were avoiding okay. that clamour of people but Sebring has always been a massive favorite it was less so this year and I can't really put my finger on why because there was a big crowd there just quickly while you mentioned Sebring um Austin uh, Zetsman Cookie Monster FL for those listening along he was talking about his experience at Sebring uh when he was there for the 12 hour he mentioned that he managed to sneak his way into the uh IMSA paddock area not the paddock area the like the um the like catered swanky section because apparently they were just like throwing out passes and he just went dumpster diving and found a bunch of passes and snuck his way in at the end of the day again it comes down to what do you do with your access yeah if what you do with your access enhance your experience and don't do any harm and don't put anybody at risk no problem no yeah problem at all it was it was it pretty funny that he was telling that story yeah um but yeah no sebring, sebring seems like a real proper party atmosphere Sebring is it's all it's it is a world class event. That's why people love Le Mans. It's a world class mm. event. There are aspects of the Le Mans experience, a huge favourite of, you know, when um, I was still working with with John at Radio Le Mans, we had the Friday morning pit lane show, which you can't have anymore because cars on track. Oh yeah, one of my favourite things to do, and that was two or three of us. It was generally John and myself, and on a couple of occasions we had Sam Collins as well. And effectively, what we would do was to leapfrog you know, two mic packs on live with someone we picked out of a garage somewhere, the other one going to find the next guest. None of it set up, all very live. But it was kind of two, two and a half hours. Just awesome fun. That would be sick. what you'd like to do as a fan. There's Guy Smith. There's, I don't know, there's Mikkel Jensen. There's Rene Rast. Let's go and have a chat with them. Let's go and have a chat with Dan Binks up at Corvette. Let's go and 
take the piss out of you know let's do that so it was that was real freeform broadcasting and that's great fun the other thing i hope we can get back to when things even out is the kind of friday night uh, campsite tours yeah and getting the opportunity there to do a little bit of broadcasting but also to sit down with a beer and talk to people while they're having for many of them their big motorsport trip of the year that's just awesome and if they if they see me being there or martin or john or anthony being there as a positive why is that a bad thing? And sometimes they buy you a beer. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm hearing from this is you'll do any, basically anything for a free beer. Anything for beer. Yeah, okay. Beer, beer and a burger. Anything. Anything. So, but for some reason, I, you've, I've seen pictures of this. For some reason, when you come to Australia, VB is your beer of choice. What's up with that? Yeah. Just do that. Just to annoy them. <laughs> Very. But, but, no, seriously, if, if in doubt... Assume that I'm doing it just to annoy. Just them. to annoy. Okay, fantastic. Yeah, I, I have that rule as well with uh, our next question. A question, which is going to be a bit of a fun one. Um, with Kiwi Chris seventeen oh nine. Uh, have you? You've bet, definitely yes. come across, come across Kiwi Chris. Um, he asks somewhat antagonizingly to me. Um, if to if you could pick the three best Australian drivers from sports cars yeah. and the three best New Zealand drivers. Who would win in an identical car? That's what he's asking. Aren't they the same thing? Isn't that just like your whales? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> they just... <laughs> New Zealand's just lucky that we don't invade them yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> Good luck with that. Um, the sharks up there, you know. Uh, There's sharks in Australia, three, too. Three, three Aussie drivers. Uh, I'm going to go for Van Gisbergen because I think he's just special. He is, in fact, a Kiwi. We just had a picture prop up in the live chat. Uh, this Discord has worked zero days without an international incident. <laughs> yes, ironic um, that our, as, our as current... As, uh, as, we say, as we often say as a group at Denny Sports Guard to our friend Andrew Hall, yes. get your stars off our flag. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Shane, Earl... Brendan. Brendan Hartley? Yes. Yep. Uh, for the Aussies? There's not too many now that you think about it. Sports. Well, oddly enough, one of the things I was I was doing, I'm, I'm trying to get in touch with our, um, our learned friend, uh, Australian sports journalist and author, uh, David Greedhouse, who some years yes. ago did a story about... The Bathurst book, the, yes. uh, which is fantastic, um, wrote a story about all the Australian drivers that ever raced at Le Mans. And there weren't many at that point. In fact, that's accelerated pretty darn rapidly since then. So who would it be? I can think of two names immediately. The first two that come to mind are Matt Campbell um, in Factory Porsche awesome. Strider. And James yep. Allen, who's been uh, tearing things up in LMP2, that, that stint that he had at Graf, not last year, but 2020, until he unfortunately yep. put it in the wall, yep. they were, they'd be my two. But the problem is, I, like, where's the third? I sat down with James to talk about that. Yeah. Um, it was at the end of, end of last year. We sat down and we had a conversation. Um, and he was there kicking himself. I said, look, you know, at the end of the day, if you've not listened to the broadcast, you need to go back and listen to the broadcast, and you need to hear 
what your opposition were saying. Yeah. Because I think you put a smile on your face. I can't remember. Was it Freddie Rast or was it Paul DeResta? I think it was Felipe Albuquerque was the name that sticks out to oh, me. Right, yeah. Saying, so, you know, tells you this fast. But that's that's some statement. Uh, beyond that, let's have a think. The only other one I can see on the Le Mans Talking about current races. Current races. The only one I can think of is uh, Ryan Briscoe, but he's... Is he is he Australian still, or is he now entirely naturalised American? You just have to call him American now and just move on. It's like it's like David Brabham, you know. Really, it's when he went race for Bentley. That's it. He wore, wore a British flag there. I've never let I've never let him forget that never, uh. ever ever. I think I think the answer is this. It's a bit like the Japanese scene. And hopefully, COVID hasn't spoiled this for us. We just got to the stage where the international scene was opening up and allowing these strong national motorsport scenes to internationalise themselves. Um, thing is with Japan and with Australia, they've got very strong national scenes and the logistics are that it's actually difficult to get there and to get out of there. Um, significantly more difficult for the last two years. but um, And also that the way the calendars worked was not kind to doing more than just a domestic championship. Yeah. Uh, I I hope that we'll see Shane Van Gisbergen show what he's got at Le Mans this year. Yeah. If the car they're going to have underneath him is what it should be. Um, Nick Casty, by the way. Yeah. Uh, I think looks awesome. Yeah, that was, that was the um, fourth name on my list of New Zealanders. Yeah. Um, so I think the answer is New Zealand would kick your ass with that yeah. down. Yeah, um, with that shadow of a doubt, but I I hope we can get back to the point where some of these guys have the opportunities that they des- their talents deserve on a world stage. Maybe it be that they decide that's not what they want. Really? Well, well, it's been interesting. Of course, in Australia specifically, the focus is so much on the supercars. Um, but as as you made mention, towards the end of the decade, um, we were seeing guys do well at the Bathurst 12 hour, like Shane Van Gisbergen, like Scott yep. McLaughlin, like Chaz Moster, get picked up and then put into these other um, these other programs. Ch- Chaz, by the way, is a great call. Mm. Chaz, I think Chaz turned some, some heads. And you know, it's not easy when you get into a different car in different circuits with different rules. But that's a guy who's quick everywhere. Yeah. He's... I think he's awesome. He was my first fe- big feature for DSC, if you remember that. I do. Lounsey, I think, missed the boat. I think had yeah. this all happened three, four, five years earlier, I think Greg Lowndes would have been an international superstar. I genuinely do. I think, you know, he is a star, but he's not got the international profile that, that his talents deserved. And his talents out of the car. He came and did the Spa 24 and was just so generous with time and comment. Remember Stephen Kilby at the time, just think, saying to, yeah, an instant fan mm. of just the way he went about things. So, yeah, it's yeah, it's, yeah. I, I feel we've missed the boat a little bit, quite literally. Um, I I hope we'll manage to get international sports car racing back down under as soon as we can, but I don't genuinely see it being the next three, four, five years. Really? That's that's quite a shame. Of course, the Bathurst 12 hours is coming up very shortly. Um, I've had a look that, at the... That, that aside, yeah. that, that will get back to its glory days 
I've zero doubt in 23. Yeah, oh, fantastic. Um, I, think gonna, I think we're going to have to just accept that 22 will be somewhat more downbeat. Yeah. Um, but 23, I hope it gets back to it because, you know, you shouldn't underestimate, put aside the fan side of things, teams, and in particular the drivers, want, want. to do that race. Yeah. I remember um, the first time I talked to you, I think it was Augusto Farfus, when he came to Bathurst, I asked him what he thought of the track and he said, excuse the language, everyone. He said it was incredible. And that was his first, it was his first time out. And he said, it's right up there with the Nordschleife. I feel like I'm going to crash every single corner. I'm like, man, that sounds awesome. And there you go. There's that. I remember Ollie Jarvis uh, in an interview we did with him before he signed for Bentley. He signed for Bentley to do that. To race. do Bathurst, yeah. Yeah, that's what he did. And that's what I want in my racing drivers. I want a degree of enthusiasm. I have to be careful there, by the way, because uh, he, he's aware that there's still sandwiches on the plate. Okay, I'm going to... While there's still sandwiches... Uh, whilst there's still sandwiches on the plate, he's uh, he, he won't take things for a plate, but I've just got to be a little bit wary. But no, I mean, that's what I want. I want them to be hungry for experience and not just titles and championships. Yeah, that's... So you're saying well, at the end of all that, you're saying New Zealand will kick our ass? Uh, then you... Mate... Yeah. It just want to be on the same line. No way there. That hurts. That hurts. Just quickly on Lounsey, now that you remember, uh, that you remind me, um, did you know that he raced in the uh, Helmut Marco Young Driver Program in Formula 3 back in 1990? I've got a Eight? feeling. I, I've got a feeling. Did he... Um, did he also race single seaters in the UK because I've got a feeling I saw him in his junior formula days quite possibly do you remember do you know who his teammate would have been in the in that era in the late 90s in the in the Helmut Marco Young Driver Program go on one one Pablo Montoya was it absolutely he cites that as he cites Montoya specifically as the reason he never made it in Europe because he just could not deal with Montoya as a teammate I think Lounsey, did he do Formula 3000 briefly? I'm just looking up now. I think so. I think he did. Um, we're going to go back and have a look at his career. Yeah, so because blah, 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 blah. So in- international blah, blah, blah. F3000 in 1997 is the information I've been given. There you go. Yeah. yeah. I thought so. I'm looking back now. I'm trying to think where I would have seen him drive back in those days. Uh, you're right, he did uh, three races. RSM Marco. Yep, that's the one. RSM Marco with one Pablo Montoya. There you go. Um, so it was one... Was it just one year? And then he goes back into... Oh, my God. Because he was he was a V8 Supercars... He, he, he may not have been a champion, but he just won Bathurst the year that he went over. Yeah. And so he came back for Bathurst in 97 and, like, crashed the car out. And then, okay. uh, and then was like, "What am I doing with my life? Europe's hard. I'm going to come back to Australia." And that, I, I okay. well, you know, in in more more words than that, basically. Uh, Lansy, it's for me, is the epitome of what a professional race driver should be: awesome in the car, awesome out of the car. Yeah. And uh, as I say, I think had the explosion in international GT racing in particular happened a few years earlier and I think we'd have seen a very different public profile for Craig Lowndes uh, the he, international profile yeah completely yeah, yeah. 
I mean, you know, he's obviously a massive Aussie star. Yeah, clearly. And he's he's a part of the Supercars broadcast now as well. So he's uh, offers his comments there and is still very much intimately linked with uh, with that side of things as well. Yeah. Good stuff. It's good to hear he's keeping himself gamefully employed. Yeah. Not sitting there in a rocking chair drinking <laughs> cocoa and talking about the old days. <laughs> Not yet. Um, a few more questions. We've been going now for just on uh, about uh, an hour and 40 minutes. So I've got... A few sort of longer form discussions that I've, I've wanted to, to put out. The first one comes from NCM Jasper. He asks, um, do you, how have you experienced the progress in women in motorsport over the 20 years that you've been doing daily sports car? What do you think the future holds for programs like the Iron Dames and the Women in Motorsport initiative? Uh, what are your thoughts on, on those sort of things? On the driving front, I think we will see more opportunities coming. There are two major issues that, in the current form of sports car racing, there are challenges. The main one is actually from a conversation with the guys, the guys and the girls behind the Iron Games program that they were explaining to me, which is there's a shortage of bronze drivers for a particular reason. And the reason for that is you think about the age profile of a bronze driver, a funding bronze driver, it tends to be someone late 30s through to early 50s, um, who's not often been involved in motorsport, maybe have come back to it, etc., etc. The reason why that's not the case with most women is because there is a simple family side to it. They do tend at some particular point to decide whether or not to go off and have a family. And that's not very fair, but it is a real reason. So that, I know, is an active um, search criteria, if you like. And I've put them in touch with a couple of people um, out there. I, I was hoping we could, there's a, there's a British lady driver, I was hoping we might be able to involve them with an international level. That's not happened so far, but I won't stop trying. Um, I think the thing that people miss is there has been a massive change in motorsport. Forget the drivers for a moment behind the scenes. Mm. Um, I think... Jane Rowe, she was listening to this, would tell me wrong, but I think it was 40 to 50% of the team managers of the Asia Le Mans series this year were women. That's incredible. And which is amazing. There's barely a team without a female member of staff on the technical and engineering side now. There are uh, girls that are actually out there fueling, changing tyres on the international scene. Um, race engineering, strategy, mechanics, and it's not one or two anymore. Okay? Mm. Some familiar faces that I've seen kind of making their way up through the ranks, but there are others that are kind of coming in as highly skilled, enthusiastic young women coming in and, and kicking ass in that garage in the same way the guys do. That, to me, is a source of absolute joy, and um, we've got a lot of people to thank for that. The profile that the uh, Audi film gave to Lena Gade. I think yeah. there's been a massive push behind it. Just the end of old attitudes. Uh, it's another kind of part to it. I mean, you know, I come from a generation, I'm one of seven children, I have five sisters, okay? We were never encouraged um, to do anything other than fulfill our potential in what was a very working class in- environment. And, you know, and I'm proud to say that all of my sisters either are or have done highly responsible, very skilled jobs in education, in healthcare, in industry, in business. 
Um, and that's because of the attitude of people that we had around us, not what other people in my life have experienced, which was effectively you're going to be a secretary, a nurse, or a mother. Yeah. Okay. And that was it. That wasn't that long ago. Mm. So that's changed and is continuing to change. And I think the more that does change, the more you've got more women in decision-making positions, inevitably when there's a call between do we take a chance on this package or this package and the other part of the package involves a female uh, driver, there's far more opportunity for that to be a yes. And it is this kind of chatting to Michelle Gatting about this uh, not so long ago and that um, should say by the way this is this uh, see if I can do this so he's now resting his <laughs> on my arm because he, because he knows I've still got a sandwich um, <laughs> th th this kind of paradox between women want to correctly want to be treated as sporting equals in this sport but equally well have to see the opportunities that diversity and that agenda now offers to them in a marketplace. Yeah. So how long before we get to the stage where some of the guys are saying it's not fair? Uh, wouldn't that be a turnaround? Yeah, there, there is a there, there has been comments whenever we saw. I think one that really sticks out to me was when we had the the cat car. Uh, I think it was two seasons ago in IMSA with the the uh, Honda NSX. Um, the, uh, the Acura, which was Catherine Legg, Christina Nielsen, and I can't for the life of me, uh, Hendrix was her last name. I can't remember her first name. Was it? Oh, there were two or three people involved in that. Uh, the Brazilian girl, uh, uh, it, Figueroa, um... and then the, yes. the money behind that car was. Oh, oh, yes. Um, yes. Can't remember. Yeah, I, I you can't remember either. I, I'm sure just, someone just in the live gone. chat was gonna is gonna remind us. Um, but something that something that popped up a few times was why why should this car be given special treatment? Why should people be interested in this car? It's just women. Well, it's like the, the the comments the comments trended very much in that direction to start with, and it's like, well, it is something sort of special. Like this is novel, and ideally you'd love it. You'd love it not to be novel. Like that's the end goal, right? But for, for now, it's a breakthrough. It's, it is. It's, yeah, it's, it is that. It is that thing about. It ultimately comes down to be a numbers game. Yeah, that the the number of opportunities to get into international sports car racing are governed by the availability of entries, the availability of budget for those entries, and it's not that there are no. Well, have been at times no women involved by accident. There is there are reasons behind that, some of which are societal, some of which are economic, some of which are talent based without a shadow of a doubt, and yeah. some of that is because you don't get an opportunity to display your talent for the reasons we've just discussed. And anything that actually levels the playing field and the issue here about leveling a playing field that will happen eventually by osmosis. Mm. But sometimes you've got to go and kick the door in. Yeah. The and, the expression uh, that we have in Australia a lot with women's sport in particular is you can't be what you can't see. And, you know, women's sport in Australia has such a high profile now because there's been a lot of marketing to show women and show young girls that you can have a career in sport. And so that, uh, uh, that moment for... I've got an 18-year-old yeah. daughter. Yeah. Okay. Life is not easy for 18-year-old girls. It just isn't a whole lot of reasons it's not it's not easy in terms of the impact that modern society 
modern attitudes, social media, expectation. It's not an easy life at all. And anything that gives young women a positive series of values and expectations about their choices has got to be a good thing. Mm. Having anybody you could go and introduce a daughter to in a racing paddock, they can see as a positive role model, you know, has got to be an absolutely enormous thing. And, you know, I hope long gone are the days where the only women in a racing paddock were the PR girl and the chef. You know, I hope that's gone. Yeah. Because there's so much more they've got to give. I'm lucky. I come from a professional background where until the end of my A-job career, I worked for more women than men through that 30, 35 years. Oh, wow. And almost to a person, they were awesome. Awesome. Sadly, one or two of them, as I am that old, are no longer with us. But I have extremely fond memories of the lessons in life that they taught me, the kindness, generosity, etc., truly some female values involved in that and if we can get a little bit of that involved in motorsport i don't see that as being a bad thing so the answer to the question is i think more um opportunities will come i think um it's quite interesting i did for the second time ever press conference um at port ricard the last time i did a press conference for an aco rules event was hungara ring in 2010 Wow. Uh, so I did the press conference. Uh, you don't want me with a microphone. <laughs> he uh, says, on a podcast conference. with a microphone. <laughs> um, and Sophia Flush was part of that, that lineup. And, and I, before we went on there, I said to her, Sophia, I genuinely hope we can get to the stage very soon where we can do a press conference and I don't have to ask you a question hedged by, or, or rather shaped by, you're a woman in motorsport. I yeah. said, but we're not quite there yet. She said, no, you're absolutely right. I said, but here's the question. The question I asked her was, you've been part of one of these breakthrough all-female crews. You've broken through now with a podium-winning performance at Portimao last year in Argyle Pro, and you're back with that team on pace this year. And I asked her that question about the journey. Well, she went on with Ben Fiscal and they scored another second place. So back-to-back podiums for her now in the LMS. But that's what I want to see. I want more of that. And Mm. to give you a parallel here, almost the exact same question slash answer, but in a very different way was asked. Back in the early days of the Le Mans series, uh, I think it was at Spa with Vanina Ricks driving for um, Roll Centre. That year, I think they started the season with four podium finishes, four third places in P1. And there was one guy in the press conference at Spa who clearly she'd come across before. And the question was voiced in, how can I put this, a significantly less kind and accommodating way. And Vanina, bless her, I've never forgotten this, said, at some point, you will ask me a question as a racing driver, not as a woman. We've come a long way. Yeah. But we're still not. We're still not there yet. If that means that some of us have got to swallow our pride and swallow a couple of really well thought out points that we might think we've got to make to suck it up a bit and allow this process to happen, 
then that is a price worth paying because there there is a much better place on the other side of this debate. Fantastic, and I 100% agree. That's that's really cool, and it has been really interesting and nice to see the the progress of the the Iron Dames and the Ricard Mill programs. Oh, yeah. um, They'll win. There's no doubt in my mind. Yeah, the Iron Dames will win, uh, and soon. My concern at the moment is well, how Fry appears to be slightly off her form, which is remarkable since she was the one that was actually really injecting pace into it. So I hope Rahel is just on a bit of a, a low point at the moment. But oddly enough, she's the one at the moment in terms of the pace that they're holding it back. Sarah Bofi as a bronze is nuts fast. That that pass that she made on, I think, oh, who was it in the um in the the other Ferrari at that time? Was it um was it Duncan Cameron? No, it can't have been Duncan oh, Cameron. Huh? Which Ferrari? Which I can't remember. Now. I can't remember. It was just one of the one of the Ferraris. Um, that she just like completely bombed around the outside, and it was incredible. I'm like, oh my gosh. Anyway, um, enough about that. Uh, that's what you want. Completely different tack that's now. That's what they've got to offer. Yeah, that's what they've got to offer. Absolutely. Which is, you know, just simple racing skill, and the fact we've got something else we can hang on to it that you know is a talking point. Great. I I hope we have less of that moving forward. Um, you know, uh, diversity. It's a massively good thing. Mm. A massively good thing. And I know uh, at Bahrain we had um, Alice Powell and Jamie Chadwick in the booth for a while. We had Michelle Gatting in the booth uh, for a while as well. And you know we went quite a way down the line of seeing whether or not we could get Michelle involved with the TV output for WEC this year. And unfortunately, that, that couldn't happen. But suffice it to say, there is a move underway right now from within as to have um, more than just white, middle-aged, middle-class British people in that booth. How do you feel about okay. uh, Australian people in that booth? No chance. No, we need some culture still, mate. That's the problem. <laughs> we have culture? Have you ever I heard of you... Vegemite? In New York, it, you do. <laughs> oh, what a... Just, just be happy with the sporting endeavours and leave the culture to the rest of the well, world. Well, apparently we don't have uh, sporting endeavours now because apparently New Zealand are beating us at the moment. So, okay, whatever. Oh, you know, it's a cross you've got a bear. Welcome to being English, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, when, you, when you put it like that, when you put it like that. Um, uh, a few uh, final questions. I think we'll go three more here. Um, a question uh, from Accurate Soup. What do you think is the future of Corvette racing uh, at Le Mans and as a whole? Because at the moment, they're using their GTE machine in the GTD class, which has been balanced down, um, and while running the GTE in WC competition. What happens next for, for Corvette? Um, I think it's going to be an interesting one. Uh, I'm aware of more than I can currently say. Okay, yeah. Uh, but you are not going to be wanting... For Corvettes and international sports car racing. Nice. A follow on from that. This is not the first time that you've told me that you are aware of more than you can say. And this is also, yes. there has also been occasions where you've told me things that I have not that, been allowed to repeat. Uh, completely correct. Much, much to my uh, pain and suffering. Um, <laughs> on that. Uh, is that is that the worst part about being a, a a motorsport journalist? All the things that you know that and you can't say, or or what it's is the, the worst part? part? It's the best part. It's the best part. Causing people best psychological part. trauma. No, no, the best part is it, the best part is understanding context. Yeah, 
that's the way my mind works. So that, when I understand the context for decision making, or for, um, you know, or for a statement, or for the best part is knowing, at least having an inkling of what comes next. It's awesome to be surprised. Yeah, and we often are. Uh, but the best part uh, is that being trusted by people not to be that guy, okay? Not to be that guy that just goes and blunders in and screws it up for everybody else. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's that. It is that thing about, as I've often said to people who know my journey through life, which is this is not the most secret thing I've been entrusted with. Yeah, <laughs> you know? fair enough. Yeah. But the fact that you're going to switch from that car to this car, that's that's not that's not the most secret thing I've been entrusted with. I can keep my mouth shut, and I don't feel the need as soon as half an inkling of a possibility of a maybe has been put in front of me to go and pretend I've got another source and throw it at the internet. I'm not going to do that. You've heard me say these words. I'll say them out loud here. My mission in life in this sport is if. There are things I can help to happen, bring good people together with good cars and good programs and good championships and with good coverage. Why is that a bad thing? And that can only be a good thing for my aspirations in business and personal terms moving forward. So none of us should really have to try terribly hard to be a good guy. Yeah. You know? And it's, it's nice to know things you shouldn't know. You've got to treat those things responsibly. Yeah. Really responsibly. Because sometimes if you don't, there might be financial consequences. At times, people will tell you there'll be consequences and they're talking absolute bullshit. I mean, I can remember a particular occasion at Cota with Ed Brown, who wasn't very happy at all that I broke the story that they were about to announce a Nissan DPI. Um, and came into the press room and told me quite loudly in front of everybody else that if that damaged his deal, that I would be sued, to which the answer was, well, you're not going to be, are you? Because you've already signed the contract and it's not a factory deal, it's a customer deal. It was just being rude and and silly, really. But the reality is you've got to be responsible about the way in which you deal with information like that. And I have one absolute rule, which is I don't ever mess with drivers careers yeah not ever i won't talk about where they're going i won't talk about uh you know um if i think their career is at risk that is a matter between them and their employer the wider world doesn't need to know that uh, their their performances will speak for themselves so you won't read that on daily sports car unless it's absolutely an extremist yeah okay cool Ooh. that was the question Oh, I don't know. I don't know if I remember what the question was. I think the question was, what is the worst part about being an international motorsport journalist? Is it the travel? Um, is it, is it the... The last, two, the, last, the last two years, um, it's been very hard, extremely expensive, very stressful indeed. Far more than anything I've done professionally outside in motorsport before. Um, I don't mind the travel as long as it's reasonably simple. Uh, sometimes, you know, Travel, I'm either traveling with people I like or I've got my own space, and hmm. I quite like that. It's been a bit of thinking time. Um, the, the worst part of it is it's the clashes. Okay, yeah. Um, 
But if you think about this weekend, uh, I had the opportunity to go to Brands Hatch. I opted not to, family reasons. But this weekend, we had IMSA, International GT Open, two races. DTM, two races. GT World Challenge Europe, two races. All of those, I've got to find time to try to keep on top of, uh, to uh, keep up to date with. Oh, Michelin Pilot Challenge, forgot that as well. Mm. So and that's not unusual, really. I'm looking at my diary now. The biggest gap I've actually got from now until mid-October uh, is after, after Spa, I'm not travelling for three weeks until Le Mans. Until Le Mans, and that, yeah. all of that All of that time will be spent with me prepping for uh, for the Le Mans 24 hours. All that time. Yep. And it won't be enough time. So it's that. It is that thing about self-motivating, organising, etc., etc. And all the time, you know, you've got a hungry husky. <laughs> He's, still still He's still there. He's still there. He's still there. still some sandwich. Um all, all that time, he'll want to be uh, walked and entertained and in princi- principally fed um, during all that time as well. So you know, I'm not a standalone guy. I've got a family, I've got a wife, I've got responsibilities, etc., etc. And all of that has to come into uh, this this kind of cocktail as well. And I wouldn't have any other way, but it does increase. Oh, by the way, I'm writing books. So yes. I'm going to find time to write books as well. Are you still, so, am I still, uh, am I allowed to talk about the book that you've told me about doing? No. No? Okay. I want to ask. Um, I want to book, there, is, there is one book I am, I'm actually writing now, and there are three other projects that are on yeah. the bubble. I want, I want that, that, that book. <laughs> <laughs> the one that I can't talk I about. I want it. Well, that one, that, the one I think you're, you're talking about is the one that's not done yet. That's okay. The deal that's, Still very much in the early stages. I hope I hope that happens. I hope that happens. Um, let's see. We've got I, I've got a few more questions here, but I'm I'm I reckon because we've been going now for two hours. I reckon it's almost time okay. to finish up. Uh, there's okay. one one last question that I I have or I've been given. Uh, another one from James Racing Geek. Um, of course, you must get this question all the time. I in fact, I think I've asked you this question. Do you have any advice for people who want to get into motorsport journalism? Are there degrees needed? What first step do you need to make? Where, where does it all sort of start? The answer is, you've got to be enthusiastic. You've got to be knowledgeable to a degree. You've got to have a basic skill set. So if you're still in school, things like English, uh, written English, highly important. Um, a degree of technical ability and I mean that in terms of, from my perspective, the ability to actually use uh, a website, the ability to understand the principles of racing is a good thing. Oddly enough, this came up yesterday with a fact from the family that found Oscar for us. And the lady in that family has got a colleague. Did Oscar get running away? I don't know. It was Oscar a naughty boy? No, no. Oh. Oscar was... Um, Maltreated by his first owners, who were, and I'm not kidding, a Brazilian drugs gang. <laughs> um, right. Unfortunately, they they abandoned him in a house without food or water. So you mean initially found him? Oh, okay. So, and, uh, so, that, so the people that looked after him were their next door neighbours and realised something had gone wrong and managed to get food and water in whilst they arranged to get 
access and get the dog out, but they couldn't keep him. But they're his effective foster family. So when we're away, he goes and stays with that family and he adores them just as much as he adores us because they've got food as well. Yeah, of so, uh, so, uh, so the answer is... Um, so the, but the point was asking whether or not I could sit down and talk to a colleague of hers, in this case, about wanting to have a career in Formula One, which my immediate answer is, all very well, uh, wouldn't go into any other industry, would you? And kind of think, this is my first entry into it. I'm going to go in and I'm going to go, let's go. I'm going to go and join the Metropolitan Police. I'd like to be the commissioner. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's you've got to be realistic about what it is you're looking to achieve. Um, it is pretty geeky, without a, a shadow of a doubt. Um, you have to do something which I find it's a massive generalism for which I apologise. The current generation's not that great at, which is put aside your opinions and deal with fact. Yeah, you know, uh, I nearly every day nearly get involved with people on the internet that talk about I hate this and I hate that. That's a huge word. Yeah, you know, I hate Lewis Hamilton. Do you? Do you really? Have um, you made in him? Case why? Yeah. yeah, yeah, It's 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 that that aspect of modern society. Park it, because here's the truth about motorsport. For the most part, everybody gets along. Okay? You will not find, for the most part, driver A saying they hate driver B. There are a few. Yeah. But it's very much the exception. They all know how tough it is to get there and how much tougher it is to stay there. And therefore, they're respectful of their peers. And if you're not coming into that environment with the same kind of attitude and outlook, you're not going to get. You're not going to stay. Um, so first things first. Take some advice. Practice. Um, you know whether or not it's to do as, as a journalist. Write something, but don't write your opinion. I don't care about your opinion. Okay, I'm perfectly happy to have a conversation about your opinion. I'm not going to give space up on my website, which I'm proud of, to someone who's only ever done. Standing on one side of the fence. If it's an opinion about it from a fan's perspective, write that. <clears throat> Don't go for the, I think we should do this. Well, why do you think we should do that? Who agrees with you? And why do you think that the people in that pit lane, all of whom are spending multi-million dollar programs, should care what you think? Write something creative. Do that. Show me what you can do. Write a session report. Write a race report. Write an interview. Do that. Show me you've got something. Um, if I've got the opportunity to bring someone to a race and give them some time, as I've done with you before now, yep. and then at, you know, at some point find a gig for them. And a good example of it is RJ O'Connell. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so RJ, so for clarity here, RJ was introduced to me as someone who was very much Super GT obsessed, uh, did awesome work there. He's done some stuff with us for Le Mans for the last couple of years. And RJ this year has picked up a paid gig um, working on the GT World Challenge America. And it's a paid professional writing gig to do that for this, this season. 
and he's doing an awesome job with it. And, you know, that will draw further opportunities with him, I'm sure, with the SRO package and likely with IMSA as well. He'd be with me at those three IMSA races is the current plan as well. So it's about think what it is that an editor, a publisher is looking for. Think of where the gaps are. Think of where the pinch points are. Are you at a race that they're not covering? Okay. Would it give you pleasure to point out a couple of things that you've noticed? Have you got a couple of shots in the paddock of a car that you weren't expecting or a drive you weren't expecting to see? Do that. Send them a little bit of news. Start a conversation. Good things come from conversations. Yeah. It's why your Discord uh, server works. Good things come from People learn things from that. You ask me whether or not for, on occasion I've taken some inspiration or some hints. Yeah, I have, <laughs> because that's the way that conversations work. And yeah. equally well, I know for certainty a number of other members in that, that server um, have learned things because I've opened the door to some things that probably they didn't know. That's what it's all about. Start with a conversation, move that towards a transaction, and then let it happen. Mm. Simple as that. There's not hard and fast rule. If you have the opportunity to go and get education and training at a high level, take it. It is tougher yeah. now than it's ever been to get into a paid gig doing the things that we love. And the ones of us that do is because we may have a bit of talent and aptitude. We've also been luckier than a lot of that don't that had the same things and didn't. Yeah. So I've been lucky. Simple as that. No way I'd get my career path if I was... 21 now no way in, in on god's green earth no chance that i've done a tenth of the things i've done in life i was lucky it just so happened i found a path where people were prepared to help me to find a way forward in things that it seemed i had some aptitude for yeah and on that note something i know that alan mcnish says all the time is that you make your own luck and i don't believe that i've heard something different uh where luck is the intersection between preparation and opportunity and so like for for me um my preparation was being a sports mad fan of racing for my entire life and then my opportunity was meeting you at bathurst i know for for steven who's actually younger than me which is kind of scary to think about his preparation was doing a journalism degree right and then did yeah well he his entry to it was he as a fan as a teenager, wrote a Le Mans guide at 14, 15 years old. I was then introduced to it initially by a guy called Paul Slinger, and then um, Stephen effectively came sponsored by Darren Cox at Nissan for a couple of races. Wow. So Darren paid for him to come. Um, and I can remember the first day we had him in a press room at Silverstone. I remember exactly what we put him through that day. And at the end of that day, he made one almighty, massive cock-up in about the first 10 minutes. I'm not going to tell you what it was, but it would be one of those moments, we all got them in life, where when he thinks about what he did and what he said, it will make him shudder to this day what he said and did. I, I will have um, to ask him the next time that I see him in person. You should. You should. <laughs> um, ask, him, ask him online, he'll tell you. Um, but that started a conversation, and from there on in, he's an excellent example of someone who is prepared to take positive, critical appraisal and run with it. And you know, he stopped asking me, can I write an editorial pretty quickly? Um, and the day when he was eventually allowed to do that, 
was a breakthrough day for him, and that's the way it should be. Yeah. As I can remember in my government press office days, having a conversation that might reasonably have been construed to people close to me as being a row, because it was, about um, some guy telling me that I'd lied to him. Well, I hadn't. Ah, oh, this, that, and the other. I said, no, no, no. You've asked me a question. I've told you the answer to that question. The fact that you don't like the answer to the question is, yeah. doesn't mean to say it's a lie. But here's the point. You need to stop talking to people in that tone. Because you are in a privileged position of being allowed to write your opinion in a national newspaper. That's a privileged position. I'm not allowed to give you my opinion because that's not my job. Okay. So you need to back off. You need to stop describing people in those ways. And you need to understand the level of privilege you've got about your opinion rather than fact. And bluntly, you need on occasion to be a bit more descriptive about the, the, the dividing line between the two. Um, I'm perfectly happy to have that conversation. Is the you know, is that difference between what's opinion and what's fact? And that, my friend, is one of the uh, the ills of modern journalism. Mm. Is there's not a big enough dividing line between the two. So the answer is, talk to people, reach out to people, ask questions, practice. You, you can write something; no one else ever needs to see it. If you've got a friend that you trust, if you've got a, a contact that you trust. Ask them what they think. Ask them whether it reads well. If you've Ask got, them whether they learned anything. If you've got a community that you can share some information with, because that's that's yeah, that's basically how I started. That's that the, the long guys would. There's, no, there's nothing to stop you having a group of two or three people from that server that is effectively a support group on that journey. Mm. Nothing to stop you from doing it. You've got an enclosed group of knowledgeable people who are enthused enough about the subject matter that they will help you. No reason at all why you shouldn't do that. And at the point where you feel you're ready, drop me a line. Absolutely. And I, and I see you in the chat, James. I see you in the chat. You you heard it now. There's There will, there will be opportunities to practice. So, so where in the world is James? Where in the world is James? Um... I don't know. I'll let him answer. We've got someone also saying that they should do WRC content. James is in the UK. So, James? Right. Well, here's, here's one thing. I actually did have a uh, contact from a friend and colleague, happens to be an Aussie, uh, with a real-world international opportunity for a rally-writing PR person at a decent day rate, and I genuinely didn't know anybody that could fill it. That makes me sad. But there you it go. makes me really sad. That, yeah, that would have been it wouldn't have been thousands of dollars a uh, a racing weekend, but it would have been in the middle to high hundreds per racing weekend for an entry level. Damn, that's proper money. Yeah, that's proper money. There you go. So it's in the UK. Okay, go. Is that st is that still going? Is that rally position still going? I thought you meant the UK. UK is just about still going. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Is the honest answer. I'll ask. I'll ask. I'll ask the question. Yeah. Well, if anyone's interested and thinks they've got the skill set. Um, you know, but with, I believe would need to travel to events. Uh, it's the European Rally Championship. Um, looking for somebody. You you so said answer, you, you said that was a colleague in Australia. I got excited for a second there. Yeah, you can't do can't do that one from distance, pal. <laughs> Rats. <laughs> but, you know, 
Uh, well, I think I think that's I think that's the end. I think that would be a nice spot to end this question and answer or this AMA podcast. Graham, thank you very much for doing this with us. A delight as always. A delight as always. Oscar's now decided, by the way, it's, uh, probably it's about time that he went for a bit, a bit of a kip. There's still a sandwich here, so we'll begin the part of that once we're done. Uh, boys and girls, enjoy the season. Um, keep up the good work and keeping it real on the server and on Reddit. Um, ultimately, it's still one of the nicest places to be. Yes, I do uh, look in while we're commentating on a range of uh, the uh, the broadcast that we do in the LMS and the FIWEC. We'll be doing a lot more of that. LMS, by the way, uh, we will be doing our questions, uh, not my choice, but through the um, YouTube, YouTube chat, chat yeah. this year. Uh, and hopefully that stays as clean as it was for the most part uh, this last time. I do wish they'd put some moderation into it, but they don't appear to be in a hurry to do that. But again, with WEC, we'll do the same. We do get to the stage where we've got delays. We'll be reaching out. Please feel free to contribute. Contribute as well to the questions on the week in sports cars. Marshall now back in the land of living. He's, he's not been very well at all, but uh, the call for questions is out for that. Feel free to dive in. And enjoy your season. And if you can get trackside anywhere um, that you think I'm going to be, please tell me you're going to be there. It'd be nice to say hello. Um, the two or three of you that have reached out about Watkins Glen in particular, I'll be in touch. And I might actually need to be reminded about who those people are. But uh, once I know what my travelling arrangements are, I can tell you already agreed is there's going to be a couple of experiences that people will like. And there might be one particular experience for anybody that's coming to Petit Le Mans at the end of the year, which, trust me, if we can pull this one off, it's going to be absolutely mega. I'm, I'm scared that you're giving experiences to people, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's put it this way. Once people find out what it is we may be offering... I know what it is! <laughs> you, you've yeah. told me this one, you've told me this one. It's a cracker, isn't it? How good is it? I'm. I. I want to go to Road Atlanta now. I want to go to Road Atlanta. Can I, do you want me to cover Road Atlanta? Do you want, do you want to pay for the podcast? <laughs> but you know, let's let's wait and see. The, the, again, the idea is more ideas, more and better. Let's get people feeling good again about getting involved directly in motorsport and the enthusiasm that it engenders because we all need it. It's been a shitty couple of years, and now it's time to start living again. Uh, before the climate shutters come down. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 the truth, isn't it? One out of the frying pan and into the fryer, maybe. Thank you very much, Graham. Uh, it's been an absolute privilege, a pleasure, and it's been a privilege. Thank you to everyone in the live chat and everyone who submitted questions. You made this show go very, very quickly. It's hard to believe that this was two hours. And thank you, everyone who's been listening. Um, I've been Michael Salavari. Peace out. <laughs> <laughs>